everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. J.L. Holdsworth is a record-holding former powerlifter, and throughout his career, he sustained a lot of pain and injury. The emotional and physical effects of being a hard hitter day in and day out left him with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, admittedly, and a lot of unresolved shit. His story is not unfamiliar to high performers, though. Hear how he was able to reset his body's state of stress and survival to one of calm and performance. And the crew reads some reviews from our rival podcast shows and hopes to bolster our own good reviews. But that backfires in real time, leading to a um, we're fine, you're fine, everything's fine moment, which is hilarious. Here it is, episode 363. Power Athlete Radio. Power Athlete Nation. What is happening? Ing. <laughs> Ing. <laughs> You're listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing. Ing. All right, people. Uh, we have a lot of spicy stuff to talk about today. <laughs> yes. This one goes in every corner of the universe. We're talking voodoo. All over this that platter. voodoo that you do so well. We're talking voodoo that you may or may not do. I'm talking pure witch doctory. No, just kidding. We're talking a little bit of RPR. We're talking a little bit of Grandma's Boy. Dumb and Dumber. Flat Grandma's Earth. Boy. Flat Earth. Conspiracy theories. C O N spiracies. I think we talk about back squatting and then all sorts of other good stuff. Well, you know, I was also thinking another thing about conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory term was coined by the CIA and was pushed out after the Kennedy assassination mm. to discredit people that were thought that they were to blame for Kennedy's assassination. So yeah, I guess it's like so just look up conspiracy. Just theory. the history of the word conspiracy theory. Uh, has this nefarious kind of beginning. So oh, that conspiracy, uh, that in itself is a conspiracy. So that's how people justify their conspiracy theories. No, well, just even the term conspiracy theory was created by the by the CIA. Oh, here we go, Snopes. <laughs> go to Sco- conspiracy. Go up to the Snopes, which is the conspiracy. I just want to know the, what Google wants. The me conspiracy to know. theory claims the CIA invented the term in 1967 to disqualify those who questioned the official version of John F. Kennedy's assassination. Well, is it true? Is or not? this true? Insult. Two versions. Yeah, we're not going to. The more extreme version claims that the CIA invented the term in the sense that the words conspiracy and theory had never been used before in a combination. A more moderate version acknowledges that the term existed before, but claims the CIA intentionally created the negative connotations and so turned labeled uh, into a tool of political propaganda. Do me a favor, text. Just go down, go down, go down, go down. Concerning so the Warren report. This is. Like 90 pages long. Go down. Just you can't be reading this. Go down. 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 He's asking you to continue scrolling the web page. There should be a conclusion at the bottom. There should be a conclusion. Like a jump to conclusions, Matt. Long story short is there is no conclusion. Do me a favor. Just get to the definition. Let's operate off of that. You can do that by just typing the terms conspiracy and theory and definition into the search box. A belief that some covert but influential organization is responsible 
for a circumstance or event. And I think that is the like defining so covert just questioning the narrative or questioning what's happening in the world is not bad. And that's not a conspiracy theory, nothing. Just questioning like, ah, this sounds like bullshit. Mm -hmm. But believing that there's some nefarious group behind all this, some group of Freemasons Mm -hmm. or New World Order Mm -hmm. or Rothschild's bank that's pulling the strings and making sure that it's some elaborate uh, plot or scheme that you're not privy to is normal <laughs> no wait which one is that one again? i always like <laughs> i always go with george carlin's deal where it's like it's a big fat club and you're not invited <laughs> they're rich this and he goes and he goes you're not invited you're you know it's the greatest club ever and you're not they don't want you mm-hmm. but i like which then goes to spoiler alert i guess we talk about like the the legal um, obligation of let's say like a media outlet versus ethical like that's not necessarily like a covert influential group well, I guess. well they're not covert do you, overt. Do like, you that's the forward facing do you believe that uh, our media outlets have a legal responsibility to provide unbiased truth I don't think they do I, I don't think there is and like that's the problem because if you if you watch Fox News and then you watch like CNN and, and you're like like the two identical situations and you're hearing like two sides of the coin and you're like mm-hmm. I don't even think these people were at the same event and it, and and what's amazing is they bring these pundits who speak with this emotionally charged way and this and that and it's like like as a rhetoric major I laugh because I'm like this is almost to the point of like satire, it's so ridiculous. And like, it, right. it, it, it just throws me for a loop. And I'm like, first of all, I can't believe people buy into this propaganda. And then I realize the average consumer, uh, like isn't a reader, isn't well-versed in any of this stuff and doesn't understand the agenda that's being pushed. So they just feed into the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. So we get into that a little bit more and why, why do we, because this is what you want to hear people we know you don't want to hear about curling in the squat rack and everything that's right about that. Because guess what? Or wrong. Is it conspiracy. right or wrong? Is, is that a conspiracy, curling in the squat rack? <laughs> you know, there was a scientific study that showed uh, it actually makes your biceps smaller to curl in the squat rack. Huh. I like it. Do you believe that? I think you doctored the data. Dr. Data is my nickname in college. <laughs> I thought it was uh, brisket. No, Limp Brisket. Limp Brisket. Mm-hmm. Limp Brisket. Yeah, that was my nickname in college, too. But ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> that, was, that was my nickname on Sunday morning was Limp Brisket. You know? This episode is brought to you by our very <laughs> proud sponsors, Power Athlete Radio. That's right. Not just any podcast, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. If you are a listener, then here's what you need to do. You need to head to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcasting platform. And you need to click the little stars where it says reviews. And Five stars. Enjoy the, the reviews that have been recently written. <laughs> like this one, Tex. I'll continue stalling if you can pull up something. Uh, uh, because you, too, one lucky listener will have their review read online. Ooh. By Tex McQuilkin. This week's lucky listener is... Da, 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 da. Ooh, I like the I like this one. <clears throat> uh, I can't pronounce your N-I-C-I-S name. N I C I S. It looks like Nickelback. Nickus Bach. 
Like it's kind of nickel. I think it's French for Nickelback. And you two could be have your review read out loud. And he said, "They did it again. They officially blew my mind again." Dr. Barr and the guys filled another couple hours with some real-life applicable research and gems. Why has it taken me so long to write a review is beyond me. But this is the best podcast in Strength and Conditioning, Dang. health, and entertainment. <laughs> the current weather is 67 degrees on a beautiful night in Austin, Texas, and I hope your dreams are filled with cow snakes. In order to get that joke, you, you need- <laughs> listen to Power Athlete Radio, episode 352. That's right, people. This is what dreams are made of. Hey, go do me a favor. Go to, go to Ben Greenfield Fitness. Let's read one of his reviews. Let's go to this guy. This guy's what? Like the top 10 in fitness? And this is what people are saying about him? This better oh, not be a good one. 4.7 stars. Oh, wait, hold on. Go back up. Go back up. Oh, wait. Does he be better? Yeah, Ben, be better. Well, I don't know. Somebody just called him Ben is the Tony Stark of health. Hang on. As, click, is that a compliment? Click one of these. Absolutely mind blowing. Can't thank enough for all of the effort. Hmm. Effort is assumed on this podcast. Before. I've learned about I've you. learned about you from Eric Weinstein's portal. Then later, I got boundless. My dream was to make it to one, make it till one thirty. I think you in the afternoon. What drew, without drinking? Far, well, Take his care, audience doesn't Frost never Larson? learn to read. Get this review up. Uh, Who's he, listening to that? He, podcast? he wrote that himself. You think so? Yeah. Give me the B better. B. Be better. Ben, always striving to be better. He's encouraging human. <laughs> well, it's okay. He's got that on us. <laughs> he helps so we're not study. encouraging humans. <laughs> <laughs> he helps others outside the standard Western medicine box. Fun to hear the nutrition and biohacking thoughts of Ben and his guests. Oh, God. I feel our Hack. reviews are much more well thought out and articulated. Well, you want to know why? Because our listeners are beautiful, well, no, brilliant the, beings. No, also they're the, not these shills who are our, just biohacking their way our through. Our listeners uh, are highly intelligent. That's right. Very schooled. Great looking. Uh, great good looking, looking. You know, just everything you want. Everything I'd want in a man or a woman. <laughs> and you know what else I would want from them? Leave us a five star review and leave us. Uh, your best review, and if you want to come in and totally harpoon this thing, that would also I'm be. I'm considering funny naming <laughs> my son. Hold here's, on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, hold here's on. A, another example. I'm considering naming my son Luke McQuilkin Callie Wellborn in honor of all of you. The best podcast on the interwebs, bar none. I have considered quitting my job in academia, moving to an island, and living out the rest of my days eating and wearing coconuts and only listening to the podcast. Although my wife would question why. I would die a happy man from jokes about Texas body hair. Luke just saying crazy nonsense the whole time. <laughs> what? And John constantly letting out a large sigh every time a topic is brought up that bothers him <laughs> before dropping a history lesson or knowledge bomb on everyone. This podcast is it. Love listening to the crew. That is our audience's uh, I do love it. Like, like this. I'm like, <sighs> we have found our bit, people. This is our new promo for the podcast. Reading your reviews reading live. Your reviews live. <laughs> Show us reading, what you got. And then reading the other top <laughs> podcast reviews and say, which one are you going to listen to? 
Which one are you going to listen to? Uh, do, do those other podcasts have really awful mustaches, too? What? Ben Greenfield? No. He's got finely tuned, groomed. And he looks great. He's handsome and in great shape. But you know what? Fuck that guy. Sorry. That was my one F bump for the day. So, but we're top 50. I'll be honest with you. I've never listened to his podcast. Neither have I. But we're top 50. Yeah. On podcast. iTunes, in fitness, in Denmark. Shh. <laughs> That's right, people. We are on the quest. So we are legitimately have finally crested top 200. It's been a goal of ours for, I don't know, a few weeks. <laughs> but we found out we're crested top 200 in, uh, in iTunes Fitness Library. Click on that one. I'm not going to do that. Is 5G really that dangerous? I'll let you oh, listen God. to that on your own. diets. So, uh, but continue. Uh, but it's our, we're going top 100. That's our next we, milestone, yes. and we can't do it without you, people. So if you can think of individuals that would benefit from the information on our podcast, if you think that maybe they would enjoy it, share our episode posts. Share. 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 And uh, let your family and friends and kids know. And we've been really trying to tone down the swearing so you could... If, swear, you're kindergarten swear, swear. if you're a kindergarten teacher, you could put this on in your kindergarten class. I, be, I believe that. Not yeah. this episode, but uh, future episodes. <laughs> I think the hilarious thing is my daughters ended up starting to listen to uh, Power Athlete Radio on uh, YouTube. Yeah, and Jay <laughs> left us a review. <laughs> yeah. and she said, uh, what'd she say about Luke? All I remember is she said my jokes are not funny. Yeah, no, she told you that. She's like, Mr. Tex, you're not funny. <laughs> and I'm like, Jamie, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, Jamie's sense of humor is becoming very acute. Mm-hmm. She, she's Her been really, skill of humor, mm-hmm. it's developing. Oh, it's she, she's coming along. She's going to be, uh, uh, you know, by the time she gets to high school, she's going to be hurting boys' feelings. She already Watch is. Watch out, man-eater. Yeah, she already is. Text pouts every day when Jamie comes and bullies him. I don't blame uh, him. She's, you know, she's ruthless. Uh, like the neighbor kids uh, come over, and I'm just over there, you know, and they're boys, so they're probably like 20 years behind her and Kelly and... You know, Jamie's <laughs> over there, like, getting him to do stupid stuff. She's like, jump in the water and hold your breath till you pass out. They're like, okay. And they yeah. jump in there and, like, hold their breath. Hold like, this big rock. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Okay, you're going to come up, and when I see your head, I'm just going to hit it with a pool noodle. So stay under until you pass out. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that my God, fun. boys are stupid. That's right. Except for these three, we're intelligent podcast hosts who know how to carry an interview, a conversation, <laughs> and maintain it. A nice and engaging I'm pretty sure we could bring Cashito oh. in here, and he could probably be our fourth person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just give him a mic. Soon, Mr. Cashy, soon. <laughs> We're gonna need this. You're gonna need 300 episodes before, under your belt before you can hop on this. You think? Train uh, of I, I was thinking, like, you know, one day when this terrible experiment called the internet comes to an end and they archive all this information, the fact that my kids will be able, like, mm-hmm. oh, I feel like my dad never went away. There's, you know, 700 of these episodes of him just droning on about all this nonsense. Hey, Jamie, how's your dad feel about vegans? Funny you should ask. Here's 13 episodes that outline everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and with that, people, on to another episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you for those who are going to go give us a review and ratings. I really do think we should do those review, review readings. It's a great idea. Like, uh, like, like Conan's... Is that a bit or a shtick? I it's a bit. a bit. That's a bit. Because uh, who, who did that? Were you like, they had celebrities read mean tweets about him? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Was that Kimmel? Amazing. Exactly. Dude, I... And, and like, like, the best was some... Like, <laughs> Fuck you, fuck you, you suck, I hate you. And then there's like, look, I think it was Paul Rudd, like looked up and smiled and was like, thank you. Like, <laughs> I, 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 like especially dudes that are like stand-up comics or people that have been in comedy. It's yeah. so like, they always have a good delivery. Yeah, like me. 
You do a pretty good timing. Oh, thanks, John. Yeah, I think your timing's good. Tex, on the other hand, uh, not so much. It's in his timing. Process. His timing is so bad. I think it's intentional. It could be in Tex. That would be the long con of jokes. Suck at jokes for so long and then get a good one in. He does. I mean, I write them down. Are you long conning me? This whole time, th- that it, Luke is what they call shtick. Ah, roll it. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, enough about us, enough about the podcast, or sponsor, I mean, enough about Power Out the Radio. <laughs> Let's get to the show. Um, we have JL on from do you, RPR. You do you know what JL's uh, initials are for? No. I think it's, um, I don't know. I should, we should ask him. Yeah. Next, next time. And I, how do you pronounce his last name? Holdsworth. Holdsworth. JL Holdsworth, out of Westside, but now... Partner in the RPR reflects a performance reset with Cal Dietz and Spot a, Athletics. Yeah, Chris Colfus uh, and these dudes. Corfus. Corfus. Thank you. Uh, and these dudes came to Power Athlete Ranch, put on a seminar, changed the way we think and approach their their deal. Next thing you know, you were you were uh, what was it? Uh, bathing with spider monkeys off the coast of St. Bart's, tripping on acid, changed your whole perspective on Here's life. Here's the thing about it, and I don't think and he's so close to this. I don't think he realizes how. Uh, hard it is to understand what the hell RPR is. Yeah. But it's it's like it's a manual manipulation paired with like well, a breathing exercises. No, so just like to, to kind of break it down, there's uh, muscles in the body have dysfunction. So dysfunction happens and that dysfunction is stored in the fascia within the body. And so mm-hmm. there's a series of movements that kind of work from a zone one, go out to zone two and a zone three. So mm-hmm. it's like center, intermediate, and then extremities. And working through those zones, you can effectively rebalance the firing order and release the dysfunction in the fascia, therefore restoring, uh, I guess, like muscles and mm-hmm. the ability to generate force and all these other key things. But just to give like a very specific, and I'm not, I don't think I'm giving anything away, but like zone one, if you take your finger... To the where your collarbone comes in, the, the sternoclavicle joint is that what it is, Tex? You're a biology guy, uh, but where that V is at the top of your sternum, and you just rub down like when you wear that deep V shirt, the part yes. that, that that comes open. So you go straight down where your deep V would pr- show, and where your Into decorative your, to like your xiphoid tags. process. Yeah, down to the xiphoid process. So that line there, and then you wishbone and follow the ridge of your ribs down and around above your obliques and love handles if you got those. Uh, so that'd be like. Part one of zone one. Part two of zone one is like the right, take your finger and your yeah, belly button. You're so ass. And go outwards an inch and down an inch. And it's about there. So that's zone two. And then zone three. No, that's zone. I'm sorry. That's the second two, move in the so ass. And then. The last one is the back of the skull. So if you take and reach your hand on the back of your head and just keep going down towards your neck till you feel a little ridge. And you follow that ridge downwards under your ears and behind your jaw. So that's just, those are three parts of zone one. And in that sequence, what you do is you manipulate and rub in a pattern that I'll save for, like, you go research the pattern, but you apply pressure and rub, and you create a tactile feedback while also doing some deep diaphragmatic breathing and focusing on just kind of relaxing, and you go through the sequence. That all takes about 90 seconds, and in doing that, magic occurs. But there is some physiology to it that JL is going to explain. But you ultimately start to like re-sequence the firing patterns of the muscular system by tapping into and just kind of like calming the nervous system, right? Is that a good way to explain it? Because that's what I was hoping we would like get into something like that. But here we are now. And now you know. Well, let's hear from the man. Let's hear from the man. That's an amazing mustache, by the way. 
Oh, thank you. Who are you talking about? <laughs> All of us. <laughs> I'm trying to. I haven't shaved in two weeks. Uh, I. You get no snare? Uh, one snare. The hilarious part about the mustache is people either think you're uh, a firefighter Check or, you know, F- Freddie Mercury. I mean, there's really <laughs> nothing else in the middle. My mom, my mom's like, what was that Boogie Nights movie? You look like a porno actor. I'm like, porno. thanks, mom. <laughs> You're like, wow, I didn't know you were going to woke up on the side of the bed with compliments. Uh, it was the nicest thing she ever said to me. But yeah, Gio, we, uh, you know, ours might not be showing as well as the big guys, but um, we're trying to all three grow mustaches because I'm going for this new look I was talking about on her. Instagram live today. You tell me if I, you think it's in, if I could bring it back. I'm going jean jacket, deep V, puka shell <laughs> necklace, fedora, and then those like cowboy sandals, cowboy boot sandals you've seen floating. I don't around. think that's gone away. I still think that's that's some form of Austin weird hipster. You're like <laughs> you're like the uh, the spicewood hipster. Minute. I'm just going to be conforming? You're going to be a spicewood hipster. I'm not doing. That. I'm a nonconformist. I think if you really, I mean if you really want to aim high, you just shave a Hitler stash and try to actually bring that back, oh, yeah. right? And make that not all. It's a bold move, Cotton. Because that man Well, you know why Hitler had that mustache? No. Was uh, the uh, the mustard gas mass required that the mustache be very narrow for some reason, like where it touched over the face? So that mustache was actually mm. a holdover from when, for I don't even know when, but I just remember hearing like that mustache was fairly in style because of the uh, the gas mass. I'm just saying, one guy ruined a whole mustache side. You could be the guy to bring it back. That's all I'm do, saying. Uh, do we know the name of the style? Because there's Fu Man. I think it's pretty much called the Hitler. Like, if somebody calls yeah, you a Hitler stash, I, like, you know exactly pre, what you got. Pre-Hitler. Or is Hitler named yeah, after the Charlie stash? Chaplin. Didn't yeah. Charlie Chaplin have it? No. Charlie yeah, Chaplin yeah, had it. That's true. Did Charlie Chaplin yeah, yeah, have yeah, it? Yeah, he had it. Yeah. Oh, Groucho yep. Marx? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did Charlie come first? I don't know the Ooh. the age. Yeah. No, Charlie Chaplin was, was pre-Hitler. Are we suggesting that Hitler stole his style from well, Chaplin? Just like the swastika is a Native American symbol for peace and oh. unity. What an unoriginal asshole, Hitler. Is it, are we allowed to say of, that? Of all the things he's been accused of, being unoriginal is definitely the worst. Not to make light of, obviously, the absolute tragedy. This is just joke, people. I apologize if I offended anybody. But, I mean, the man just copied all of his stuff. Yeah, no, he was an unoriginal bastard. Mm-hmm. I just I just watched... Uh... I watched the Amazon show of Hunters where they hunt the Nazis, so I think that's why it was top of mind. Dude, I watched uh, that show. Did, did you watch like uh, was it um uh what's what's the guy Tim? He's a UFC fighter. He's like a Tim Sheepdog response. He's like buddies with Jeff Gonzalez, Tim something. Oh, he was at our turkey hunt, right? Yeah, yeah. What was that guy's name? Horton. Oh, no. that guy. Every you know. He's just so cool, and he re-enlisted. He's super. He's in good shape, right? Maybe he's a UFC fighter. Tim something. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. Um, just, all right, continue the joke. So, uh, so he had a TV show where they were like, like searching for Hitler in South America. Kennedy. Yeah, right? Tim Kennedy, and um, and then Adam Rickman also had a deal where they did like uh, Mysteries Unknown in South America, looking for like you know Hitler and all this stuff, and like pretty fascinating if you think about it. Like they have pictures of U-boats popping hatch right off the coast of Argentina. 
So like they took the you know and like they ended up catching. I mean, I know the uh, the Israelis when they went in with their you know death squad or whatever found actual like key members in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And so the way the story goes is that Hitler <clears throat> did not die and was able to go to Argentina and live out the rest of his life. Is That's this a crazy. Conspiracy theory? No. Yes. Uh, is it considered a conspiracy theory or just an alternate, uh, like a, a pretty good example? <laughs> um, I think, wait, let's get into well, this. Let's, but there is, let's get no, into this. No, there is. Conspiracy theories, <laughs> right? Because what I have a feeling is, is that there's things that get tinted with the term conspiracy theory that like. I was thinking uh, that as I like your post. Uh, yeah, like, like, um, mm-hmm. you got the weirdos talking about that there's, uh, uh, you know, there's flat earth and there's, mm-hmm. you know, these reptilian people that live underground that like control everything. I think those conspiracy theories give like a, a bad people. Yeah. The you, Ninja Turtles? No, you've never heard of like that there's like a race of. Ninja Turtles are good, John. Ninja Turtles are yeah, good. Yeah, no, I, of course they are. They all- <laughs> I pressed his kung fu from my cage with uh, Splinter, their Rafael Reese. That's right. Uh, That's right. But Splinter's not a reptile. He was a rat. I learned. He's a. I learned. But he t- ninjutsu from my master from my cage, and then it shows like the little. Wait, like, are finger. turtles reptiles? Yeah, they are reptiles. I was going there too, JL, but I decided to like. Backpedaling that somebody else asked that. So <laughs> there, right? there was a yeah, there's a whole deal where there's like a race of like human sized reptilian people that live underground in caverns and control everything. So there's the reptile people one, and then also the flat Earth. I just think that these kind of crazy conspiracies, along with like the five G coronavirus thing, kind of tint uh, like lesser, maybe potentially more true conspiracy theories like did hitler survive world war ii well they never physically found his body or the dna they blew it up they said they killed him like nobody ever like they didn't parade a body kind of like the osama bin laden they didn't parade a body and so well go ahead go ahead yeah. no i was, was going to say right so you look at some of these things that are conspiracy theories like it is you know th- i mean think about some of the stuff that's happened in our history right like if you you know if I was to tell my, my, my daughter's nine, right? And if I was to tell her that we rounded up a bunch of people of Japanese descent and put them in camps for no reason, she'd be like, that's crazy. That would never happen, right? Like my nine-year-old would say, if I said, hey, we brought Nazi scientists over that killed millions of people to help with our rocket program, my nine-year-old would say, that's crazy. Yeah, that was, that uh, would never happen. Operation Safety Pin, I think, was the pa- paper yeah, paperclip yep. yeah. where they brought over yeah. all the Nazi scientists. And pretty interesting, though, um, in Philadelphia, they have, uh, what was the name of the mental institution? Right, it's right in downtown Philly. I used to live right there. Yeah, my cousin lives down the street. Yeah, no, I used to live right there. It's right by the uh, art center. It's called um, Penhurst. That's it, yeah. So the crazy thing is they... It's a haunted house now. Oh, it's the scariest place on the planet uh, because what they ended up finding was uh, one of the the Operation Paperclip people that they brought over ended up becoming in charge of that. And that was kind of the reason they were like, well, how come this place was like beyond cruelty and like what they did there was, uh, you know... And it's true, man. Those guys, the U.S. government saw that, uh, you know, there were these... You know, like highly skilled individuals that had a really questionable skill set that they wanted, and they brought them over, and they gave them immunity, and asked them to work for us. But so. here's here's my thing on that, JL. Like it is that does sound goofy, but if you look at the level of coordination required to pull it off, and the clear beneficiary of the outcome, 
it does become within the realm of believable. That could be hindsight bias. I understand, like, in hindsight, it actually happens. This could be affecting... But if you think of the flat Earth, the level of coordination it would require to get every scientist... You're talking about, like, dozens of countries with tens of thousands of people... Mm All coming together without one person faltering over 60 years. And I just don't understand who benefits yet. And that's, I mean, John, that's something you always come back to. Is like a Cui, point. Cui yeah, Bono. Cui Bono. Like, so who like, benefits? That's why, where I evaluate now. I asked Turley about that, and you know what he said? Mind control, dude. I, I, and I'm I, like, ah. And I, I don't, so and here's the thing, too, um, to go back to the conspiracy theory deal. And with what, like, some of the, some of the, um, Pushback you got on the post, right? Which, I didn't think I got any pushback. I, I don't know. How would you claim? Like just feedback, I guess? Or no. Or like alternate opinion? Well, no. I, I thought everybody pretty much chimed in. The only thing was... Um, There's some, like three or four people who were like, well, hang on, you know? Well, certain people crushed, questioned Alan Moore as because uh-huh. uh, he is kind of a, a you know known anarchist, but specific- wrote all those crazy... You know, wrote uh, World War Z, um, right. Beaver right. the Vendetta. All that, yeah, but I'm talking specifically, I guess, there was a couple comments about like... You know, it's a shame that you can't question mainstream without oh, automatically getting attacked. You mean back. Lindsay Matthews' question about uh, um, throwing out, like, mm-hmm. anytime you question the mainstream media, the people they would use a conspiracy theorist. And I'm like, questioning the right. the national narrative is not a conspiracy theory. That's called being an educated individual. Unless you, like, in my opinion, and I'm not saying that Lindsay is this. I'm saying unless you, like, put up camp in this alternate like the alter in the consistently alternate narrative, like you're you you, you put your uh, camp up there, and no matter what, you're you're automatically in this world where there's the the Illuminati or the Freemasons, and they're hiring the reptilian uh, people. I am a Freemason, so I can talk. <laughs> okay, well, well, then you're in that. on it. Then then you're in as your Freemason. I can, I can tell you that is. That is not what the Freemasons do. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. You just wink at us. Uh, Yeah, I was winking. I don't know the secret handshake, but I'm pretty sure you just did it. Oh man. Yeah. The uh, no, there's. I I agree with you guys 100. percent Here's the. This is what I say. Right? Is that history doesn't. So I, I love history, just as a. And so if you go back to the revolution. Right. So you had a bunch of guys questioning the government. Like if that didn't exist Mm -hmm. in in our country, we would still be under British rule. Right. Like the fact that you question the government is part of the fabric of what makes America America. And so I think it's interesting. And when you look at it, when you go back to revolutionary times, the people who questioned for a lot of them, the people who were on the British side were the people who were super comfortable and benefited from their rule. Right. And so I think we're just at an interesting point in history where most people like not everyone, but a lot of people are generally pretty comfortable. Our standard of living is pretty good. There's never been a time better than what we're living. There's an undeniable dichotomy there, right? But there is not, but no, but there's always this overarching feeling that we're somehow in the worst times and that uh, we're ending everything. Like I saw uh, uh, Neil uh, uh, or was it Neil deGrasse Tyson posted a picture and it showed uh, like a bunch of sad animals in zoos and it's like, you know, like in times of quarantine, like this is how they feel, which I thought was pretty uh, powerful. But like reading the comments of like, we're such awful people and I didn't want to jump in there and be like, if those animals weren't in the zoos, they would be dead because poachers would have killed all them. 
Like, so like you either have sad animals or we got uh, extinct animals. So it's like, uh, you know, just the evils of man. Like we're not evil for putting them in cages, which we are. But the problem is, is the reason we have these, uh, these zoos is because like, like look at like the, the fight that the vet pod guys are doing down for like the rhinos down in Africa. They like, they like, I follow those guys and they lose them all the time to poachers because now all of a sudden the Chinese believe that ground up, uh, um, was it elephant tusk and rhinoceros horn can somehow protect them from the COVID. 19 COVID-19 well well, yeah that that's where right the again history but like when when settlers came here right start moving west there's 60 million buffalo on the plane right so it's like right we can we can kill off a species pretty good like we're such awful people it's like this is where I'm like it takes history a hundred years to really come to the truth Mm. And, and like, if you look at 1950s, the books in the 1950s, if we're in, in, in elementary school, it would say, yeah, we killed those dirty engines. Good thing. And that was like what the book said in the 1950s. But you get to the 80s when it's about 100 years later and they're like, ah, maybe genocide wasn't a good thing. <laughs> well, right. Like, well, the 100 years for the truth. The, I mean, the atrocities we did were, I mean, like the fact that like the U.S. government went in and was was paying people to kill buffalo because they knew it was the, their food or it was the American Indian food source. So we decimated the food source. We could break the back of the red man. But if you also look like there's also this really interesting, you know, like not to say that the that, that the U.S. government and there was a shitty deal with the expanse and this. But if you also look like the American Indian were some of the most savage, uh, murderous, like dangerous individuals on the planet. Like if you read the historical accounts, because um, in that book, uh, um, American Buffalo, the guy goes through uh, Steve Rosella, Rosella? Yeah, goes through and talks about like all these historical deals from written from the Spanish perspective of coming like coming across like a huge grove of trees with hundreds of people who have been skinned hanging alive and slay, you know, and they, you know, you know, would take captors and this and just like it was a much more savage time. But unfortunately, we've created is this like majestic sitting bull vision of like, you know, these really amazing like uh, American Indian people that were part of the land and here and they were these peaceful individuals that came in with the white man, which is a crazy narrative because that's not the narrative at all. Well, I think this comes to the whole thing with what we're dealing with with COVID-19, this interesting thing like death has been a part of life it is it's the unavoidable part of life is death and you know history's written by the winners right that's why my favorite saying is there's three sides to every story there's his side her side and the truth like it's just every story it just doesn't matter right like there's always there everyone's going to view it from their lens and their perspective i think the one thing that's absolute throughout all history all time is that death happens right that's the one thing that no one has ever been able to avoid, to my knowledge, maybe the lizard people. Well, or it's the, but uh, <laughs> upon birth, man, it's the only thing guaranteed, you know. And that's like I, yeah. rem- I remember hanging with the guys from POD, and I was like, "What's POD?" And they're like, "Paid on death, man. It's the only thing that's you know that debt is paid at the the minute you're born." Yeah, so that's and that's what I found. I found the most interesting, probably thing in this whole COVID thing is all of a sudden people have started acting like death is a new thing. Like you want, you want me to die. Like, I hate to tell you, but it's going to happen whether I want it to or not. Like it just, it's the one guarantee in life. Right. Like you said, and that's where I found, I found, you know what? I found so much similarity between, uh, and John, you can relate to this a lot. I know, uh, 
arguments about strength and conditioning and arguments about COVID because everybody's like this when, okay, when I was really young in the profession and I was insecure and didn't know, you know, thought I knew everything, then you would argue with people and be like, this program's the best and this way is the best. And you're dumb. If you don't think this is the best way that's my other favorite one. And that it's funny. Like I'm watching these COVID arguments and I'm like, it reminds me like the people that are out there just like, you got to do this and this and you're done. I'm like, it reminds me of like this, the insecure strength conditioning arguments I had when I was like 20 years old. Mm-hmm. It, because it's the similarity to me is strength conditioning is one of the only fields where you can't really prove the best way because you can't take the same person under the same exact circumstances and run them through the same thing. You can't do it. Like you can, you can do some studies and you can kind of get, but you just can't get the exact same thing on the exact same person at the exact same time. And you'll never do that with this either. So like, it's just beliefs, man. I, I think like, why can't people have different beliefs and it just be like, let's have just an honest discussion. Like, let, let's be respectful and hear another's points. But I guess that's too much to ask. Well, I was going to say, you come out of the West Side School where there is no other school other than West Side. Uh, that was, a, oh, dude. I, I mean, talk about, I mean, and as much as I love Louie, uh, like is still one of my favorite people in the world. Just hilarious. But like Louie, like uh, argued with me at nauseum that this is the only way everything else is just utter failure and this and it's indirect. And, uh, you know, it's just I think when you get to that point where you're so set in your ways that you can't at least have any apathy to put yourself in the other person's position to hear their point. I think that uh, you end up, you know, just fucking withering and dying because you, you stop learning. Well, JL, before we get into specific experiences with West Side. Can you introduce yourself to to the audience and share your experience that led to where you are today, including the West Side time? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a small town in, in northern Michigan or northwestern Michigan, uh, played college football, got done playing football, and uh, I was a strength coach at the University of Kentucky. Uh, basically, I went there on my interview, and uh, I was on the Olympic lifting platforms. I had been out at the Olympic Training Center for a summer and learned how to Olympic lift. And uh, so I'm, I'm watching these guys with bands and chains. I had no clue, never seen it before. I go over, what are you guys doing? They start telling me about, you know, Elite FTS and about Westside Barbell and all this and Conjugate. And I, I'd never even heard of it. So this is like, I don't know, 2000 or something. And uh so it was, it was Jim Wendler. I actually ended up replacing Jim at Kentucky in his position. I was at Kentucky for a year, did my first pilot to meet, uh, beat everybody at West side. I totaled, uh, 2160 in my first meet. Um, and then, uh, ended up, uh, after the meet, Louie came up to me and invited me to train at West side. So moved to Columbus and, uh, ended up having the fourth highest total in the world all time. So it totaled 2436 back in 2004 and, um, going into WPO, uh, I was going to be, I was shooting just a total over 2,600, which I'd have been second behind Gary Franks to do that. Doing 1100 pound squat, herniated L5 S1 and, uh, went from, you know, trying to be the strongest guy in the world to not being able to put my underwear on the next day. And, uh, that took me out of competitive powerlifting for 10 years, worked my way back in 2014, won a world championship. Um, and since then, um, I, I founded a private training facility in 2011 called the spot athletics. Uh, and 
um, in 2014, after I won that world championship, I kind of said, okay, I'm, I'm done with powerlifting and uh, want to focus on business. Since then, we've we've built it up. We have two 20,000 square foot private training facilities in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and then uh, four years ago, uh, co-founded uh, Reflexive Performance Reset with uh, Cal Dietz and Chris Corfus. So got to Spot Athletics, you know, two private training facilities in Columbus and then travel around teaching uh, RPR and, you know, having fun reminiscing with John about West Side and fun stuff when he came down there. So um, that's just kind of gives people some some insight to my background and what I do. Sweet. Thanks. Yeah, we just when was that? Maybe February, a month and a half, February? two months ago. Uh, I'd like to call that the normal times, normal not, times. not these weird times, the before times, yeah, the, before, the times. before times. We'll always talk about early 2020 and then B.C. before COVID. Yeah, B.C. That's <laughs> blasphemous, isn't it? A.D. A.C. After COVID. No. So close to the rising. How dare you? Am I wrong? What? Is it, it's too I close? Know, I'm not familiar with religious stuff. Well, I explained to my, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, you know, and so we we're explaining Easter to my five-year-old. And so, you know, I told them, you know, Good Friday and Jesus and he's resurrected and Easter and comes back from the dad. My five-year-old looks at me dead serious and goes, so Jesus is a zombie? <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Well, yeah. No, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, that's kind of ironic. I was like, no, no, he doesn't eat brains. That's ridiculous. Yeah, no, he, he, he turned wine into blood, so it's, uh, it's kind of a little blood bit different. And, and he tied the body into, was, in, into the bread and the host, so uh, maybe – yeah, it was funny. He just dead serious looked at me. And, I, and it was funny because part of me was like, God, it's really lo-, like from his point of view, that's a super logical question because he watches yeah. these little uh, cartoon cartoon zombie shows or whatever. Dude, I've been working on a zombie survival guide uh, and it kind of took me down a bit of a rabbit hole when I started looking at all these different movies and TV shows. Uh, I think. I could point to some of the, or a lot of the panic and how people are reacting in response to this COVID-19 based upon, if you look at these kind of zombie shows and the, like they always start, there's a, uh, a virus that gets released. It becomes a pandemic and all of a sudden the people aren't there, uh, aren't prepared. And then this, you know, end up happens and it goes from like land of the living dead, the living dead, the walking dead. I mean, like I, I started going through world war Z, a Z nation. I mean, all these different ones, it all starts the same. And so when you look at the trends of what people are buying is, um, toilet paper, they're hoarding food and then, uh, guns and ammo. Uh, the amount of first time gun buyers that have gone out and actually purchased weapons is like off the charts. But it's uh, it's almost like people saw too many things and like, oh, here we go. Hollywood wrote the script <laughs> and it, it's like the same. I'm like, oh, God, this isn't very good. Mm-hmm. You know? Where else do you get your information other than Brad Pitt movies? <laughs> I mean, it's like, <sighs> am I wrong? No, but but the problem is, is you guys know, man, like uh, whatever Hollywood puts out and now Netflix and these different groups tends to be what people see. And then, you know, their ability to sense like what's reality and what's not. Uh, and then all of a sudden you have like, it, it like, like watch world war Z again and you'll be like, Oh shit, this is kind of gladly <laughs> love that flick. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's just, I don't think we've quite seen the, uh, the zombies, but it, I think no. it, it, it hasn't stopped people from preparing. Yeah. The, the panic associated with, but like therein lies another, you know, going back to the, the conspiracy theory talk there, there is another indicator of like some sort of broken, this inability 
or area for improvement for people to just kind of like rationalize things because we're so quick to just listen to the Netflix, right? Or to the movie or to the silver screen. Like we adapt and change our whole philosophy on diet based off of game changers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that in and of itself, in my opinion, is also another um, piece of data that tells you like, man, problem solving or critical thinking Deductive is, reasoning. is a bit like is a bit weak with the current population um, among like quickly subscribing to very well, far-fetched theories. No, but I think it goes back, right? People individually are very intelligent. Masses of people are not, right? And so that's, I, I think individually, when you talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, like, People can do critical thinking and do this. The, the issue is that when you create, so again, it goes back to, to the history part of it. Every time in history, when we look back and there's a massive shift in communication style. So the advent of the newspaper, the advent of radio, the advent of television, you'll see these massive manipulations by, by government, by other things be, by the people who control those mediums, right? Like we look back at newspapers and some of the things that they spread that, that became just accepted as fact. And we go, that's so dumb. How could they listen to that? How could they believe that? Yet here we are in another massive shift in communication styles. And so the way that people, like I sat next to, uh, so a lot of the stuff that looks organic on Facebook, on Instagram and all this, it's all just manufactured by organizations and companies and lobbyists. I sat next to a lobbyist on a flight a while back. She was in charge of a movement and I'm not going to say which one because it was, it was a great conversation, but I, on, I knew the movement. It looked super homegrown. Everything was like just low budget Facebook videos that people had shot on their iPhones. And she told me about this one video and I was like, Oh my God, I've totally seen that video. It went viral. This and that. She's like, yeah, we spent $5 million to find the perfect person to shoot it the perfect way. And like, I was like, are you kidding me? I thought this was totally organic. She's like, yeah, it costs a lot of money to make things seem that organic. Yeah. Like it, it's like, it's just the new way to manipulate. It's only people aren't like, I didn't even know that level of manipulation was happening because I thought, right. Oh no, it's social media. It's just people posting things. But then you realize like whatever the medium is, like the the large money interests, like the lobbyists, they're going to control the narrative like that. It just is right. Like to deny that is to deny like, look, if I had a billion dollars, I would or ten billion. I would control the narrative. Right. Like well, the, I would because I would want everyone to think the way I well, do. Uh, Luke and I talked about this yesterday. And uh, as we were, you know, like if you take a, a logical approach and remember that the media is a for-profit, they're not nonprofits. They have like no, uh, you know, fiduciary government responsibility to, you know, provide things as accurate and transparent as possible because they're some government funded nonprofit organization without an agenda. That just doesn't make sense. If you look at, you know, their for-profits and the way that they sell advertising in this is through creating buzz and information, transferring back and forth, the more hits they get. I mean, it's just like this, the more stories, whatever, then they can raise increased dollars for advertising. So the more polarizing and the more, uh, you know, I guess you could say like uh, emotionally lit up the event is the greater chance they have for selling more. Mm -hmm. Now, the one thing that they've figured out better than anything is nothing sells better than fear. 
I mean, if, if you look at like, if you want to sell papers and you want to sell advertising and you want to sell media and clicks and get people talking, basically make their worst fears come home and then spend the last, you know, 20, 30 years of zombie movies and then talk about deadly viruses and this, and this whole thing comes to fruition and people are scared to death. And they're like, you know, they're willing to stand up and shout and scream and fight. And, you know, there's battles in here and all it looks like is more transfer of information back and forth, which results in more hits and more content. And so, and that, that's what helps put dollars in these companies pockets. So like, it, like if you remember that they're for profits and that fear is their best uh, sales tool, it becomes a lot more transparent to me. Well, I think that was one of the, probably the, one of the things that's frustrated me the most in this situation is, um, you know, like I have a lot of friends and people that I know that I grew up with, right? Like they, if you work a brick and mortar job, right. Shutting all this down. Like if you're a single mom and you rely on tips and all these things or a single parent rely on tips, like, that takes away your way to live. The thing that frustrated me the most in this was the social media people coming out who make all their money on YouTube, social media, like entertainment. And they're like, stay at home. But yeah. You guys want like people staying at home makes you more money. Like I get it. Like, so the people controlling the narrative or who have the largest voice in this are the people who benefit the most from this. Right. And so I thought I found it really interesting that like, that was one of the things that frustrated me was, people who, you know, are working and doing other things who maybe don't have that voice on that platform, like those, like those people aren't being heard, but the people who have the voice benefit from the people staying home, which is, it's, it's just, to me, it's this interesting dichotomy uh, that, you know, again, I think people are very intelligent individually, but when you create this mass hysteria and fear, like you, you get, you get a lot of unintelligent thought process and, and things get, being put out there. Well, it's it's hard to think rationally and be fearful at the same time. Like I, I think like fear becomes like an overriding emotion, and you know, like I, I reached out and had to, we're going to have Tony Blower on at some point because I think that guy really has analyzed fear the last forty years of his life. But that understanding of like when fear hits us, we go into this very uh, simple reptilian primal deal of like, you know, survival. And I think what happens when that kind of gets switched on, people start losing the ability to not only have a rational conversation, but also to have, take some deductive reasoning and be like, okay, like, let's look at the information presented to us. Like, uh, I told you these guys, I went to go pick up my mower and you can't enter the place to get where like the, my mower needed service. I brought it in. I have to wear a mask six feet at all times, set your credit card down. Like I'm like going through this whole process and I'm like, what, uh, this is, uh, it's, it's more over the top than I've seen anywhere. I went to the Whole Foods the other day or uh, the supermarket and you know, like half the people weren't wearing face coverings and now it's required in this. And I'm like, it feels very reactionary. And, um, you know, it's like, well, I think research, there's really no compelling research to talk about wearing, you know, a sock over your face or an ACE bandage is going to effectively slow the transmission of this stuff. Well, I, you know, I mean, this gets, we talked about this a lot when I was down there is, you know, this was, you know, how I lived my life was complete sympathetic dominance, right? You're just in this fight or flight all the time. You're just in this sympathetic dominance all the time. And until you can feel safe and secure, you really can't look at things and think about things in a, in, in a good way, like exactly what you were saying. And so to me, I think that, um, you know, creating fear stops people from thinking. And then it's like they just rely on more of what they see. And, 
I, I think, it, again, I go back to, to my philosophy on this stuff. Whatever people think, the truth won't come out for 100 years. And so none of us will be around to really know what that is. But whatever the truth is with this, it won't come out for 100 years anyway. So I just think with this whole thing, I think if people just took a second and went, okay, what do I know? like in my world, right? What, what do I know for sure? And what, what can I see? What can I touch? And I think that's part of our issue as a society too, is, is that just that general, what do I know has been replaced with kind of what you guys were like, Oh, well, what is Netflix saying? What is the media saying? What is this saying? It's like, no, no, no. What, what do I know? What can I look around and see in my immediate world? I think people have abandoned that as a skill set. To, to, and given that up to other people like Netflix or, you know, social media or whatever. It's like, I think if people just did that more, they go, okay, well, I'm healthy. I have a roof over my head. I have, there's food, like there's no toilet paper shortage in the world. Like I, you know, I think it, it would just, things would calm down much quicker, but again, that's, I think that's a big ask for people in a mass way. Well, let's shift gears, man. Let's yeah. get into the witchery of RPR. <laughs> this voodoo that you're throwing at us that we that voodoo that you do so well. The voodoo I do every day. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that, man. Let's talk about that journey and how you got into that. And then we can, you know, kind of reflect a little bit on yep. the event and how we've been using it. And maybe, you know, you could, you know, just get into that space. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it fits so well into this whole deal that's happening right now because, um, you know, for me, just, you know, obviously, like, I, you know, played football, but then I went to Westside. Like, I was, you know, always fighting and, you know, just I was always over the top and aggressive. And it's interesting that, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, rationally, I couldn't think if I got in a situation where someone was giving me a dirty look or doing something, I was just immediately punching them in the face. And that was just, it was a reaction and there was no controlling it. And it's interesting because once I was able, you know, I went through, I learned, went through the Be Activated course and we basically, you know, Douglas Hills out of South Africa, he teaches a course called Be Activated. And I went and learned that and uh, Cal had told me about it, you know, Chris Corfis told Cal about it. And basically they were getting these crazy results with their athletes. And honestly, I just wanted something to make my body feel better. I mean, just during my time at Westside, you know, I had the herniated disc, but I had a lot of other stupid injuries. I mean, just even uh, like there was a car blocking me in one time. So I decided to pick it up, tore my bicep off. Right. Just, I mean, just, just dumb injuries. And so um, I had knee surgeries through college football. So there's just a lot of surgeries and things that, that I was like, man, I'd like my body to feel better. They've been getting these cool results from people. So I went and learned. And then, you know, I came back to the spot athletics and I wanted to implement with a lot of our people, but because it was practitioner based, it just wasn't something that we could do with our people. So kind of talked to Cal and Chris and, and we talked with Douglas and said, okay, like, can we make this something that just people can do themselves every day? Um, and that's really where reflexive performance reset was born was, was really creating a system of self-care 
that people can do themselves and can put their bodies so they can feel better, so they can hurt less, you know, sleep better, all those things. And really what it comes down to is putting your body into a position of safety, right? And that's, at the end of the day, our, our bodies want to do one thing. And, you know, this whole COVID thing, all this, like, realistically, as a species, we just want to survive. So, so we're in quarantine because enough over, you know, the majority of people decided that that, that was a way to help us survive best. And so whether that's right or not, you know, again, we'll know in a hundred years, but I think that with RPR, that was the interesting thing for me was I never realized that my body was so, you know, call it unstable or whatever you want, but I was basically in a place of just nonstop aggressiveness all the time. And so part of that is just when you grow up, like I grew up a little different, like from, you know, second, I think second grade to ninth grade, we moved like 11 times. It was crazy. Like sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, we moved, we, I went to different schools. Right. And so, you know, as a kid, I learned that, you know, you go to a new school, you find the biggest kid on the playground and you, you walk up to him the first day, you punch him in the face and like all of a sudden no one messes with you. And, you know, that's a great, strategy to survive as a kid it's a really bad strategy to like walk into a bar every night and have that be the way you operate right and so it was this interesting thing you know i got into rpr because i just wanted my body to feel better and it did it instantly like i'm like oh shoot this doesn't hurt this feels better and things started to feel a lot better but over time as i was doing it every day like the the biggest change for me came and things like I'd never in my entire life, I'd never read a book cover to cover. I mean, I, I could read, I'd read, you know, I graduated college, all that stuff, but like I would just skip around and all of a sudden it was weird. I've been doing RPR for a while and all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I just read a book cover to cover. Like I've never done that before. Like usually I'd have 15 different books going and just like a couple pages here, a couple pages there um, and never really finish it. So you know, for us, you know, it really is as simple as a simple of self-care or a system of self-care that, that allows you to put your body in a place where you can perform at your best. And, you know, for athletes, that's, you know, less soft tissue injuries that, but for me, like I'm a dad, I'm a business owner that that's, you know, being, you know, having better discussions with my staff, it's, you know, feeling better when I want to just go train, like, you know, I'm not competing you know, at, at a high level anymore or, or at all. I just want to feel great, you know, be able to move around, like play with my kids, do that kind of stuff. And that for me, it's, it's, it's been so helpful because I've had seven knee surgeries. So, you know, I mean, I was told eight years ago now that I wouldn't make it five without a knee surgery. And, you know, I'm doing things, I'm back to doing jujitsu, which, which I couldn't do. And I'm back to doing a lot of things that I love to do that, that my body just wasn't letting me do. JL, do, do me a favor because like you're, you're very close to this, obviously traveling the world, teaching it. Yep. We've been, you know, we've experienced it as well. So we can visualize what's going on. But even before you get into the RPR piece, go to the be active piece and tell us about your experience yep. there. Like what, what mechanically, like what was the tactile experience and, and yep. what did it like? What were some of the benefits you could? I'm pretty bummed that that dude's not coming. Uh, this yeah. damn coronavirus deal, like, screwed up. I was hoping to have that guy. Uh, your, I know. What's it, Doug Heal? Yeah, uh, we'll Douglas see. Heel? Doug, Douglas Heal, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
we were, we were obviously, you know, we had talked like the goal is to have them out this summer with all this going out. We, I don't know, maybe later in the fall or something, you know, just cause he was, he was going to come from South Africa this summer, but yeah, this is, it, you know, it's weird. I mean, so I went through, it's a four day course. I mean, well, that's level one's two days, level two's two days. Um, I went through the course and it was crazy. So immediately I get done with the course and I felt, I, I literally had never felt that just relaxed and calm. I, I felt great. And so, you know, it's four days and, and it's practitioner based. So you're working on somebody, somebody's working on you. Um, and so it was interesting. I get to the airport. I call, my first call was to uh, Dave Tate uh, and I called Dave and, you know, Dave's got so many injuries. I said, dude, I really think that I just learned something that could really help. He's like, all right. He's like, you know, he didn't ask what it was. He's like, okay, well, did he really believe you? I I have a feeling a lot of people call Dave Tate and say, I can help you. And (laughs) well, yeah, no, that, I mean, Dave's worked with, I mean, everybody around the world over the years is, is, you know, work to, Hey, I'm going to help, you know, do this. And, you know, I've known Dave for so long that when I call him and tell him that he's just like, awesome. Like, when are you back? And so, uh, it was interesting because I told him, I was like, I don't know, let's just see what happens. So it's funny. He came in, we went through everything. I uh, spent about two hours working with him. And uh, so after we get done, he's like, okay, he's like, can I, can I go work out? I'm like, yeah, your, your body's actually the most stable. Like, cause really what, what RPR and be active, it's, it's about the neurological firing sequence and getting the body to operate the way it was meant to. And so I'm like, yeah, go work out. What do you have? And he said, I just have a light squat workout. I, you know, he said, I set a 10 pound PR on Sunday. So this was Wednesday. So it's, you know, three, four days later. And uh, he's like, I'm just doing some percentage work, like nothing heavy. So, okay, see how it feels. He calls me later that night. And that 10 pound PR he had set on Sunday, he set a 90 pound PR over that, that night. And he was so, like, I knew like after that, I'm like, okay, this stuff is, is for real. And, you know, Dave always shakes when the weight would get over 600, they would just shake uncontrollably. And for the first time, literally I had ever seen him squat since I mean, our days at Westside, he didn't shake. He had 700 pounds on his back and he was just super stable. So I'm like, okay, this stuff definitely works. And so, uh, you know, it was from there, you know, at that point I was, you know, I, I thought it was great, but then once Dave said a 90 pound squat PR, I'm like, okay, I'm all. So to like, describe the mechanics though, jail. Cause people are listening. They're wondering like, are you, what are you guys doing? You getting in a kiddie pool? Are you nude? Is there oil involved? Like, I, I think those three things make everything better, but <laughs> well, uh, you can do RPR and do those things. I know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> I know from right. experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically RPR is a system of breathing and it's basically rubbing different areas on your body. So, you know, it's, it's a certain way of breathing and then it's just doing uh, rubbing or, you know, tactile input to different areas of your body in a different sequence. So really everything, you know, you, you know, you can do yourself with be activated. It's just the same thing. It's breathing. It's, it's different, um, you know, tactile input and different sequences. Uh, but it's a lot of stuff you just can't do yourself. Um, you know, there's some stuff you can, but, but some stuff you can't. And the philosophy is, is the same that really, uh, you know, governs RPR and BIFA, which is really that, you know, the nervous system controls everything in the body. 
And, you know, I like to say kind of like when you go home at night, you flip on your lights, your light bulb comes on. No one's amazed by that action. Well, that's because electricity, you know, is 150 years old. We're used to it. Well, all we're doing is showing you where the light switches are in your body and you're controlling the electricity of your body, which is your nervous system. And so when people get instant changes in flexibility, instant changes in strength, all these things, again, like you said in the beginning, people are like, oh, this is voodoo. Well, it's literally no more voodoo than flipping a light switch on at your house. I mean, that's it. You're literally just controlling the electricity of your body. And that's, you know, and I think it's interesting, like with, with John, we had a discussion we were down there where, you know, he's worked with people and seen a lot of this neurological work. So for him, he's like, yeah, it totally makes sense. So if you've, again, it's just like electricity. Once you've seen it for a while, it's not magical. It's not voodoo. It's just controlling the electricity. It's just, you got to know where the light switches are. And that's what we teach in RPR is, is where those light switches are. Yeah. And I guess what would be a good, like, I'm thinking of a good experience where people, where you could people can relate to their nervous system being fried or whatever. Like think of like, yeah, but when very, it's hard to hang onto a bar. Right? Yeah. But if, it's not that you got weaker. It's just that things aren't popping right. Well, I mean, how many people have actually noticed like a nervous system distress? I'm not sure if that's what I, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of a hard thing to quantify well, I'll give, unless no, you've done I'll, something. I'll give you a simple yeah, one. Yeah. I'll give you a simple one that everyone's felt. Right. So, uh, everyone's felt where, you know, before a huge interview or a big game, people get butterflies in their stomach or something. Or if you almost get hit by a car, see someone get hit by a car, like all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, your ch your chest gets tight. Maybe your stomach feels nauseous. That That's nerves, right? Like that's just stress at a super high level. And so I, I think like going back to this, people know like some days you walk into the gym and the weight feels light. Other days you walk in the gym and it feels heavy. It's not that you actually got weaker or stronger in that one day. It's that your nervous system isn't functioning right. optimally. And everybody's felt, I mean, everybody's felt that. Yeah, it's the same light bulb. It's just a little bit dimmer, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, uh, to, well, to, to really tax your nervous system, uh, you, one, you got to train heavy. Like, I mean, uh, um, doing, you know, five sets of 10 at 60% of your one RM isn't necessarily going to tax the nervous system the way it is like, Hey, I'm going to, what about hit, triple Murph? I'm going to hit uh you know, Prilipin's table and, and, uh, you know, where it says at this rep range optimal is four to seven reps. I'm going to take fucking 20, you know, 20 singles at 95%. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start having, or you pull a bunch of heavy deadlifts and fry the nervous system using the, you know, the CNS for the grip. So I think that there's a lot of different ways to attack it. I just wonder if sometimes people haven't dug dug themselves a deep enough hole to realize it. That little ditty and the sound of my smooth, sensual, yet strong voice means you're about halfway through our chat and you've earned yourself a little brain break brought to you by our friends at Train Heroic. And I know you're like, Callie, your voice is smooth, sensual, yet strong, but what does that have to do with Train Heroic? And the answer is it doesn't. But here's why we at Power Athlete think it's important that you're aware of what Train Heroic is capable of. Their whole jam is to empower you to train without limits. Sound familiar? 
that means that you can take your little gym business or side hustle and absolutely blow the fucking doors off of it. Their immersive training solutions allow you to train athletes from New York to Nicaragua. And FYI, if you consult a map, those places are really far from each other. Gym space is not an issue. Distance, not an issue. And scheduling, well, we already know that time is an illusion, but it's even more illusiony with Train Heroic. With Train Heroic, you can provide an engaging, flexible, and affordable training experience for your people wherever they are on this flat earth. They provide everything you need to look like a pro, even if you're a complete Luke Summers, and transition into this brave new world of online training. The best part is that they give you a fortnight of free usage. That's two weeks for anyone not born in the 1700s. And when that wraps up, you can keep the party going for the price of a Chipotle burrito. But wait, there's more. A burrito without guac. And you pay only as your business gains grow. The whole crew uses Train Heroic and has done so for years. There's a reason we are taking the time to mention it, and it's not because they promised us a party barge or a suitcase full of collectible beanie babies, uh, baby tigers, or anything else that you deem to be extremely valuable. It's simply because we like them, we use them, and we believe in what they can do for your business and your athletes. Power Athlete has grown by 50% for the last four years because of Train Heroic. And in the words of one of my old coaches, you can't argue with results. Head over to trainheroic.com, click on the free trial button in the upper right-hand corner, and get started today. Now back to the show. Well, and I think too, right, there's an important distinction here between the mechanical function of the nervous system and the actual neurological firing sequence. So there's, a, and this is one thing, you know, we talk about in the clinic, right, is that when everybody goes, yeah, 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 I work my nervous system, I do box jumps, and I do this, and I, yeah, everything works your nervous system. But what we're talking about is creating the optical neurological firing sequence. And so I think that's where the difference happens is like, you know, it's interesting. I'll do something where I'll say, okay, um, you know, can you like the ab, you know, do the ab strength test, right? And then you do a wake up drill and your abs get 40% stronger. What's really cool is I bought like an actual handheld tester because a lot of the tests, right, you do them, you do the wake up drill. And then if I'm testing you manually with no kind of measurement, it's like, oh, was that person pushing hard or were they doing this? And so it's interesting. So I bought a handheld tester and it's funny, the first person I did uh, their hip extension, like their hip extension got twice as strong in force output in, in literally 30 seconds of them just doing some breathing and some of the wake up drills. Uh -huh. And so it's funny because like now that I have this force tester, there's absolutely no denying the strength change and the strength change doesn't become because your nervous system's more rested or because it wasn't taxed or any of that, it comes because the actual firing sequence changes so that it optimizes what, how everything's firing. So what does the force, what does that handheld force tester look like? Is it like a pad or something? It's a Star Wars device. It's, it's, it's a Star Wars, yeah. It's, it's literally just a handheld, it's got a, um, a force plate, but it's small, it's handheld. So it just has a force place on the end of it and it just reads Bluetooth to a, an output Sweet. and it just tells you how many pounds of force. So mm -hmm. that actually, that's actually helped a lot because 
then like the rotation test, which you guys know, like if I test someone's rotation, <clears throat> have them do a wake-up drill, retest rotation, you know, again, it's like, oh, like everyone, first thing everyone goes to is like, were you pushing as hard or this and that? But with this, it's like, it's an objective measure where it's just like, here's this output. You got X amount strong. Yeah, Jail, truth be told after, you know, we went to dinner after, I'm like, man, I wish he had like a display that showed the force output. Cause like, cause you tested me and I felt the difference, but I'm like, I'm watching other people and I'm like, you can cut like cut this, like the suspicion with a knife, like how thick people are like, oh, I don't know about that one. And I'm like, it'd be really cool well, if you could like, you could have that visual. So that's a great addition. Yeah, it's the problem is, is that it's fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, for oh good, so well then buy ten of them. Just put them on Underhill or Caldeets. I'm probably just gonna go yeah. like, I'm probably just gonna go. Mm, these numbers are fudged. Yeah, that machine <laughs> yeah. doesn't really do it. That say machine doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Would uh, how do you know? I don't know. I just know these things. Yeah, I don't. yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, there's, you know, some people. It's interesting when when people obviously set PRs in the gym. Right those not like you can't argue with those numbers right so it's not about uh a, an electronic output or a force measure it's like the weight's the weight and so what's cool is i mean every powerlifter i've worked with as soon as i show them how to do everything they immediately go set a pr right and so that part of it you just can't fudge you can't fudge that. That's what, I mean, that's one of my favorite part about lifting weights, right? Is gravity's gravity. Like 405, you walk in the gym, it's 405 every day. Like it's that, that's one of the things that I love, you know, for me, like I started lifting weights when I was 15 years old, like it was the only constant and has been the only constant in my life since I was 15 years old. And, and that's, I love it because there really was no other constant other than So, Jay, when you're saying like 405, are you talking you, like, like squatting it, or bench pressing? You mean like a, the internet 405? Because uh, I think that there's some people out there with fake plates. Because dudes, there's dudes in there that are like, yeah, I can ima- just imagine pulling 405 off the ground. JL's like talking bicep curls. Kilos? <laughs> 405 kilos. Uh, yeah, um, like, those, like those dudes online that are like curling 405, and you're like, are those fake plates? What dudes? What plates, John? I've got foam cinder blocks yeah. up there. <laughs> well, I, I think it is interesting the way that uh, the how, how different, like the numbers, the perception of everything has shifted. Like now, you know, people, I, I think there's an arbitrariness to where, people will ask, you know, how much have you bench pressed? And I'll say 775. And then people will say, but then people will say how many times, right? Because to like, say all of it, there is all of it, <laughs> all of it. No, of but people don't, the, the, the everyday person, most people don't have any kind of like, and this i swear, swear to God. So there's these guys detailing my car. Like this is a couple of years ago. I'll never forget this. These guys come out and they're detailing my car and uh, on oh, my truck, whatever. But uh, and so they, they come out and I'm talking to the guys like, oh, you, you lift? I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I used to power lift professionally. And they're like, oh, how much do you lift? It's like, well, what lift? Right. Because that's the thing. Right. Everyone's like, how much do you lift? like what lift? Right. And so that's the first clue that they don't know what they're talking about. And so. Then it's, I go, you know, okay, well, you know, my best, my best squat is a million. Five, my best bench. Yeah. yeah it's 775. My best deadlift 804. And, and the guy really looks at me and he's like, oh yeah. He's like, well, my cousin bench pressed 800 pounds. <laughs> I said, he did. I said, 
I said, that's great. That's all. What's awesome. his name? Yeah. Right. I, I well, know this is the best part. Over 800. Right. It, I mean, that it's not a big, you know, it's not huge, right? And especially, and so he goes, oh, yeah. I mean, he was going to play for, he was going to play for Michigan. I mean, he didn't end up going to college or anything. Like, like you, there's always these stories, right? And I just think, like, whenever I used to get offended by that stuff, but, like, it, it comes back to all of this stuff and, and kind of RPR, COVID, all the like what I've realized is like the one thing RPR has given me is so much more stability and, and kind of who I am. So I, just when people tell me that stuff, I just understand that they're coming from a really insecure place. And so when they tell me that, I'm just like, awesome, man. That's, that's so great to hear that your cousin bench press 800 pounds. Like that's really good. And all of this stuff, like when I see people now, like arguing over this stuff or doing this stuff, like I've just, I used to be that guy. Like I would be threatening people online and I just, I've gotten to a place now and, and a lot of it is, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, you know, people are like, oh, it's age. Like it ain't age. It ain't age because before I started doing RPR every day, like it wasn't changing. And so it's, but now when I see people like, tearing other people's views down or just like bashing people and doing this stuff. I just realized like those people are just coming from a really insecure place. And like the people who are really doing it and securing their stuff. They just tell everyone like, here, here's what I believe. And people can either accept it or not. But when people start tearing other people down, it's like, eh, you're not really secure in what you yeah, know. Get that, guy, and get that guy some zone one wake up. Right. Well, that, you know, that's what, and, and so probably people listen, doesn't understand that, right. but like the, the way we explain it, right. Zone one is, is really like, in, is the center of your body, right? Like we believe proximal stability builds distal mobility and strength. And so, but that also works in your world, right? Zone one is you, zone two is friends and family. Zone three is everyone else in the world. And I look online and I see a lot of people worried about zone three, everyone else mm. in the world. And they're not taking care of zone one, which is themselves. And, you know, we, we see these on massive scales where, you know, there's a maybe a, a preacher, right, who's out preaching everything and take, you know, just going to zone three. And then all of a sudden, like, there's embezzlement and prostitution and all this stuff. Well, they weren't taking care of zone one. Right. And so or maybe zone three is just a care. facade right, for them right, to lead their right. fucking uh, shady ass lives. I mean, uh, yeah. like uh, my wife just uh, not to catch up, but uh, my wife was uh, on Sunday was like, oh, uh, the Lake Hills Church or whatever the one that's down on Bee Cave uh, is putting their deal online, and she's like, I think this is really interesting that people are going to be uh, watching, you know, uh, um, like religious events or like sermons or online, and I was just started laughing. I'm like, you don't remember the '80s televangelists at Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and all those whack jobs? I was like, dude, they they made billions of dollars off of bilking old ladies' uh, retirement checks, you know, send money here. I'm like, the TV preacher has always existed. I think what's happened is it's just kind of like done this, and now we've seen a rise back of it. And uh, no, that's crazy well, stuff. But, it, but think about it, right? What's old is new. I mean, so infomercials, right? So there's all these online trainers now. That's just the new wave of infomercials, right? Like it's the new thigh master, right? It's it's just it, all this stuff just comes back around. And I think that's where I, I really think, you know, kind of what we we're talking about. If people just made sure that their stuff was in order, that they were good then this stuff wouldn't work as much on as many people. 
And because and that's the people, the people that don't have stability, like that's the people that end up not being able to think critically about these things. And, you know, kind of like what you were saying, John, right? Like it's, it's not, you're not a conspiracy theorist if you don't believe what everyone else believes. Like maybe you're just a critical thinker. And, and there is a line, right? Like I think with all this stuff, there's a line, like just like in strength condition, you can't really prove which way is the best and there i don't think there is one way like you know kind of what we're talking but you know what there's some rules you don't break right like th there's there's some general rules in every program like you can't lift a hundred percent every single day right like no program recommends it because it, it would just lead to to nowhere like there's certain rules well, you can't break and i think bulgarian method well, they, they tried it well, they didn't lift a hundred percent every day, like a max weight every day. Um, they didn't max weight every day. They, they took heavy weights, but again, like there's certain rules you can't, you just can't break. But in general, like I kind of like everything works if people are really consistent and believe in it. I, I think belief and consistency go a long way for everything. And it, it can be your weight training program. It can be your nutrition. It can be whether you believe a certain religious thing or conspiracy, like belief and consistency, man, they, they go a long way. Well, they go a long well, way for a um, So what's, uh, as I was ruminating on our conversation this morning and also we're talking about right now with the idea of conspiracy theorist, I think what puts you in the conspiracy theorist camp isn't doubt of like the of the standard norms or the narrative that's being spun. It's believing that there's some elaborate scheme that's happening that's driving the whole thing that like, you know, in, right. involves like multiple bad actors doing multiple things over the course of the years. And it's this like idea that and um, I, I really the reason I posted that quote on my Instagram um, by Alan Moore was because. I think people, it's more comforting to, for them to believe that there's some high-level conspiracy with all these different organizations and players and actors, you know, all working in this concert to, like, pull this thing off, because that's a more comforted feeling than knowing that this thing is, like, nobody knows what the fuck is going on. It's a whole bunch of people trying to do their best, and, like, they might not have all the information, and it looks and appears rudderless, uh, because that is pretty fucking scary for people to think that, like, this whole thing is just, like... Like, hey, it's like I, I told Luke when we were talking about parenthood, I'm like, hey, man, you just got to remember nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. And people that are way dumber than you have raised Nobel laureates and, and kings and, and presidents. So, like, just do your best. And uh, I think the day I realized that I was like, you kind of take the pressure off yourself and you're like, well, and then, you, you know, even for you, like when you look at your parents, you think like, oh, shit, like, you know, at the time I thought my parents knew everything. And then you realize they're just people doing their best, uh, you know, the best work they can do at that moment in time with what they were given. Well, I think this honestly gets to, to where I've gotten philosophy wise is like, I, I don't think not that there aren't purely evil people in the world. I think that's a really, really, really small minority. I, I don't think, I think for the most part, everyone's always just doing their best and what they think is best. Like I've made a lot of stupid mistakes and like when I took that 1100 pound squat, I wasn't supposed to, I herniated my disc. It was, it was a bad injury. Like that, that was it was not, but you know what? I, it wasn't like I went into that, like, I'm going to hurt myself, right? Like people, I think in general are always trying to do their best, but if they're, you know, scared, if they're, you know, overly worked up, like you just do things that you think are best, but then once you have time and space, you go, oh, okay, that maybe wasn't the best decision. But 
I don't think for the most part, I don't think very, very, very small percentage of people actually make decisions to hurt people. I think it's like, again, like one of my favorite things is hurt people, hurt people. It's not that they're doing it on purpose. It's just, they can't help it. It's just where they're at. And that's, you know, that's my philosophy is like, I, I really believe people's physiology dictates their behavior. And I think most behavior is, is dictated by physiology and then it's rationalized by our psychology. And if we change our physiology, we can change our behavior at a subconscious level. And that's something that I don't feel like anybody in our world's addressing or talking about. And, and that's a big thing for me because, you know, I think when we look at behavior change and all these things, you know, we come at it from this like, oh, that person doesn't want to change or they don't want to do this bad enough. Well, I think that their physiology dictates it. And if you don't address their physiology, then you're not never going to change their behavior. And the way that I look at it is like it's capacity, right? So if someone comes into the gym, right, and I look at ability, I look at capacity and knowledge and, and awareness, right? So if someone comes into the gym, so physiology is your capacity, psychology is your awareness. So if someone comes in the gym and they have the capacity to squat 500 pounds, but no one's ever taught them how to squat, they only have the awareness, they have no awareness on how to squat, maybe they'll only squat 200 pounds or 300 pounds. As soon as you give them the awareness, the psychology side of it, if they already have the physiology capacity, they'll squat 500 pounds really quick. However, if they walk into your gym and they know every muscle, how to move it, right? They know everything. They have all the awareness on squatting, but their physiological capacity is 300. It doesn't matter. You can put 500 pounds on the bar, yell at them all day long. They're never going to squat 500. And that's what we're doing with this behavior and with human beings right now is that we're assuming that if we provide awareness, like all these people that are like, oh, you want to build better behaviors? Just do this and do this and do this. And they're trying to just build awareness, build awareness. They're not even addressing the person's physiological capacity to do things. And so this is something that I think is totally ignored. And in 20 years from now, this seems like an arbitrary discussion, but I think psychology will change. I think behaviorism will change. I think the way that modern medicine views all of these things will shift because they're only looking at the psychology, the awareness piece of this behavior change piece and not the physiology piece. And during the RPR course, you also mentioned how it's already changing in our perspective and understanding of fascia. So that was, yeah. I, I had never heard that. So it was all in and very intrigued by, by the approach there. Could you share with the audience just the, the importance of fascia and connective tissue? Well, so I think there's interesting, like some of the stuff I'm talking about, right. And, you know, with the nervous system, it controls everything. And 20 years from now, you know, interns will come in and be like, how did you guys not know that the nervous system control? Like, if you think about it, like it's our neuromuscular system. Yeah. Everything we do in our training, we're just dealing with muscles. We don't even do anything to prep the nervous system. And again, people think they do because they do like box jumps or whatever, like to get the nervous system potentiated, but they don't change the actual firing sequence or just ensure that it's in the right order because it might be in the right order for some people. And so it's interesting 20 years ago, no one knew what fascia, John, I mean, John, you remember this clearly. Like 
no one knew what yeah, factions, no, they, right? Like it wasn't even a thing. Well, they explained it like a whole bunch of uh, cellophane. Like if you took cellophane, you just put a whole bunch of strips on top of it. That's what fascia is. It's like cellophane. And then it's just the stuff you got to cut off to get to the bottom of the muscles. It's like pretty interesting. Like, yeah. uh, you know, and, and the one that you, I think it was you uh, made this point and I ended up researching it, that if you look at the human body without the skin with just the fascia, it, it looks like five or six muscles. And the where they interconnect and like where they all kind of meet ends up being the meridians for acupuncture, which really actually, when you looked at that man, like that, that blew my mind on that piece. Well, and I think, and this is the thing that people, so, you know, people are like, oh, you know, now they, you know, you look through, so and this, oh, let me go, oh, like, I'm even going to take this a step further than just the fascia, because I think most people here understand, you know, have a context of fascia. Here's the heart. What, what did we all learn the heart was? What does everyone think the heart is? Everyone thinks it's a muscle. New research, guess what? It's not, it's a nerve, it's 60% nerve fiber. So now we don't even, like the heart, like what we've understood as a muscle for this long. They're delicious. They're now, they're, yeah, they're, they are wonderful. They're finding out that it's not even a, a muscle, it's mostly nerve tissue. And so what they're finding out is that you know, everybody has always thought the brain tells the heart what to do. Now they're finding that the heart also tells the brain how to go. And so that you have this feedback loop. Like, I just look at this and there's so much like when when I started this journey, right, I thought I understood 90% of what was going on in the body. Now I'm like uh, two to three percent, maybe because the thing I've the changes that I've seen in people's bodies, like people who, you know, a surgeon says you need shoulder surgery. And then all of a sudden they start doing the breathing and wake up every drill, their, their shoulder feels great. And they're like, I don't know, I don't need surgery. My shoulder feels fine. Right. Because this neural tension is totally ignored in, in, in everything we're looking at. Right. And so it's crazy to me when I first realized like, holy cow, I learned about the neuromuscular system, but then everything I learned was all just this mechanical, here's where the muscles are and the nervous system was ignored, but it's literally what controls everything. That's, that's the craziest part in all of this stuff to me is that like, I really believe in 20 years from now, it's going to be one of those deals where we're just like, holy geez, how, how did we not, how were we not addressing this? How, and like, you know, John, we've talked, like there are some guys that were way out front that have been addressing it, but it's just in very small pockets and you had to really know where to look. And, and it just, I think it, the, how it's not mainstream. I don't like, it blows my mind. Like it's the, it's the neuromuscular system. Like how are we not dealing the neural part? Well, it's uh, it's because it's, it's never really been answered because I don't think anybody could access it. Like um, I go back to, you know, when I ruptured my patellar tendon and I couldn't get my quad to fire, um, you know, they, like I went to two or three different doctors. Uh, one of them went back to Stedman, went to another guy. Their whole deal was like the knee, the leg will fire when it's ready, when the nerves reconnect. And I'm like, and there's no way to speed this thing up. And they were like, no, it's just the body will heal itself when it, I mean, it's like, holy shit. Like is a, a guy trying to get ready to go play football? Like that doesn't really work. And then all of a sudden I get hooked up with the EMS devices of via Charlie Francis. And I start using this EMS device and it's like, it, it awakened the motor units. And as soon as I could get the motor units awake, the body figured out how to fire. And so for me, it was just awakening motor units that were, you know, either severed or dead or not, or, or asleep. And by getting those things to uh, almost wake up, it like taught the nervous system or got the nervous system firing in such a way that I was able to recruit and make this muscle fire. And so 
back then, like there was, and this is, you know, right around 2000. So, I mean, you're talking 20 years ago, like they didn't really have anything. There was no RPR. There was nothing. I mean, I didn't know of Dr. Bueller. So like all these other things now, 20 years later, I look back and think, wow, if that same injury happened, he, there's uh, five or six different things that I would try to see which one worked the best way. Not just like I'm putting a wing and a prayer on some crazy ass machine that some dude probably built in his garage to get my quad to fire. So I, 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 th- I think well, we just have yeah. more people doing more things. And then also with the Internet, uh, the the amount of people, I mean, the fact that, you know, you, uh, you know, are in Columbus, Ohio, you got Cal Dietz in Minnesota and I don't know the other guy. But and then, you you know, working with a dude in South Africa to create this kind of system. I mean, 20 years ago, that, that wouldn't have happened because you wouldn't have been able to have access to each other. No, that, I mean, that is a great point. And I, I think the the part that's really interesting is uh, some of the stuff that like we talked about some down there, but with the advent just in the last like two years of wearables becoming more and more uh, prolific, right. And people tracking sleep and doing all these things that's been cool because then, you know, where it was, you know, four years ago, I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm sleeping better. Now I can do RPR before I go to sleep and go, yeah, look, my, my HRV actually was better. Or, and so it's, I think it's, I think technology is catching up. And I think, I, I, I agree. I think there's more talk, but I, I think it's interesting. You know, Chris, who, you know, is, is our other partner in RPR, he went down to um, uh, the Sprints Institute, Sports Science Institute down in New Zealand. And, you know, those guys, I mean, they're, I mean, they're one of the top sports science institutes in the world. And, uh, he was showing them, he went down to, to talk about some speed stuff and sprinting, but then he was showing them RPR and the guy who leads the research, he's like, we have no way in our current model of explaining why this changes. And so they're now looking at doing some research, but like, I, I met with a sports science lab of, of one of the biggest universities and showed him some of the stuff with RPR. I'm like, you look, you're looking at injury mechanism of ACLs. He's doing a study on ACLs. And I said, but you're looking at mechanically where these things are, but you're not looking at the firing pattern when the injury happens. And he's like, what are you talking about? So I showed him some quick stuff with RPR, showed him how much his strength increased because the firing pattern shifted. And he's like, I don't know how we would test that. Right. And so I think there's this whole aspect of the nervous system when it comes to injury, when it comes to performance, it's been totally ignored. And I, I think, you know, we don't quite have something that can test it yet because, you know, testing neurological firing sequence as it happens during activity, we don't really have a, a way of doing that yet, but like someone will come up with it in the next five years. I think the way technology is going, like some, uh, someone way smarter than me for sure. But like, I, again, like I'm not a research guy, I'm just a results guy. And so I, I think, but I think that now the technology is getting so good, the stuff they're doing with brain scans and all this other stuff. I think, I think that, I think in the next 20 years, we're going to see, I think, you know, we'll be having a conversation in 20 years where it'll be like, remember when everyone didn't believe the nervous system controlled everything. And I I think that'll be, honestly, I'll, I'll tell you this, my real honest assessment is, is, and I hope it's in 20 years, is that even in psychology, I believe in 20 years, people won't be able to address, like if they're not, if they don't have a a body worker to work on the physiological, 
they like psycho they'll be like oh you're not you're not you don't have a holistic approach of psychology because if you like if you think about it right the mind and the body was considered one unit up until 300 years ago and then like cartesian medicine started right Descartes says i think therefore i am so they split up the mind and the body and so literally if you look at like every culture throughout the history of time considered the mind and body as one unit and this is the first time in history where we separated out because we were so smart. And I think what'll happen in the next 20, 30 years is it'll come back full circle where they'll realize that separating the mind and the body was absolutely the worst thing they could have done. Yeah, there is a term, Dicart's error. So now they're starting to, to bring it back. So one thing we had Dr. Tara Swart on, who is a nerve brain science yeah she was a phd and an md so she was yeah. uh, had a phd in neuro uh neurophys- neuroscience, yeah, neuroscience yeah. but an md in neurology i think so and she admitted nice. that everything that she had learned up to a certain point recently has has been off so now she's deep diving into dicart's error and then bringing emotion and the body back together yeah i mean that's one of the things and be activated you know really works there's um you know you really digs you know in rpr like you know we talked about this we don't really talk about much about the emotional side of things you know we just kind of say hey look like emotion gets stored in certain part trauma gets stored in certain part of your body we just say it's a thing but we we don't really deal with it much because then you do everything yourself but when you start working on that practitioner side and someone's working on you like i've seen some pretty huge emotional releases where literally people have trauma that's stored in their body. Yeah. Take my shoulder trauma. Take it. I give it to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, but you're, (laughs) we've talked about this, right? A lot of people that trauma that's in their body, like, you know, they don't want to get rid of it. Like holding on to it is because it's a story they've told themselves. And so, but I've, I've literally seen people like with, with the activated get down on a table and get up as a different human being like legitimately like i mean it's it it's literally like huge emotional releases and crying and and literally it's not and these things are stored in our bodies and you know to to really if you look at i mean you just look at nature right and you look at if you watch you know discovery channel whatever a gazelle gets chased which is, you know, and gets away, what does it do? It goes somewhere safe by a tree in the shade and it shakes real bad. And it's getting rid of the trauma of almost dying. And so the thing is, is like the social convention that we've built, like we don't have a mechanism to get rid of a lot of this trauma that's built up. And the bigger thing is like, even us right now talking on this screen is it's a micro trauma. Like, because we're not really supposed to be taking in this light and doing these things. And so we're literally living in an environment we weren't built to live in. And so it's interesting because we, we have no, before RPR, I had no tool to deal with that. Right. And so I didn't know how to reverse the effects of even just, you know, a commute home, right. Like getting cut off in traffic. I mean, simple things like that, but these are micro traumas that we have. And there are these micro stressors that we get every day. And then as adults, they get cumulative, they build up on us. And and that's when people make bad decisions and get scared and do all these things. And so I, I, again, I, it's interesting. I really think that, you know, my goal with RPR is like, because it's a system of self-care people can do themselves, 
it's that, okay, well, if enough people are doing this and seeing results, then they start going to practitioners saying, well, how come you guys aren't addressing this mind-body connection because it's so integral to our health? Jail, is the only way to resequence the firing patterns? I mean, I guess this is probably a risky question, right? I'm not trying to disvalidate RPR because I've, no, I've no. used it and continue to use it. And we do it at the gym every day. But like, is that the only way? Are there other like devices? Can you do it simply through like a meditation? You know what I mean? Like, so I, I would definitely not say it's the only way because I think absolutes is is a that's a it's a tricky place to be. Uh, I've never so with RPR, I've never seen anybody be able to show me how to do it myself. With that's what to me what makes RPR really special is that you can do it all yourself. And it's a system that works almost every single time. Nothing works every time, right? Like that's, let's not, anybody who says like, this is the everything for whatever, they're full of shit. Like nothing works every time. Well, the, um, probably the biggest test for me was, uh, I did it twice a day and then I, and then I told myself, uh, I'm not going to do it for a month. I don't want to see how I feel. And I'm probably about three weeks in. Like, this is maybe the beginning of the fourth week. Yeah, you look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> what? Zingo. So what uh, my wife and I got into a discussion and I asked her, I'm like, do you think you feel better from the RPR? And she's like, ah, I, yeah, like, I don't know. And I, I told her, I'm like, I think the only way and like, well, I, I didn't do it for like two days. And I went back and I was like, you know what? I don't know if like what like the cumulative effect is, but I was like, I'm going to not do it for four weeks. And then uh, I'm going to go back to doing it like twice a day. Uh, but like today I got up this morning and I was like, I noticed a different feeling. Like I had a, like an ache in my good shoulder and like, I was thinking, I'm like, man, I just want to go do some like really like, like do the whole cycle like 10 times, mm-hmm. like, like just take an hour and just go, you know, like one, two, three, one, two, three over and over again. So in jail, my, I guess for my test retest one day was, I think I was doing pull-ups. strict pull-ups and like, I'm like, you know, this feels bad, you know, like it, it's just a big piece of meat that wasn't working right. So I did a set of max reps, like, you know, it was like 35 or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> three, three point. Hey, at five. least make it uh, like move the decimal. Hey, shh. No, it was nine. Easy mustache guy. Nine. So I got nine. I'm like, I just don't like how that felt. And then I went through and did um, just straight up uh, the point for the lats. Right. Went through and was able to get 10 pull-ups and it just felt good. Felt supple versus like, just like kind of grabbed. Well, you, you felt moist. Mm-hmm. And then did all three zones and then came back and then hit like another 10, right? So, or, so now that was just like N equals one. Who knows what the, what the power of suggestion, but all of that stuff doesn't matter to me because it felt good. And it's like a no brainer. Well, and I, I think this is the one thing that I find, I like, I fall into this and, and I have is that you, and so we, the biggest mistake we made with RPR was when we first introduced it at the spot athletics, what we did was we showed people these big test retests, right? And we said, okay, do a sit up. We push them down. They're weak. We have them do the wake up drills. Boom. They're nice and strong. Holy cow. This is so awesome. Well, then we, a month goes by and we're just every day that our clients come in, they do RPR. Well, we weren't doing any test retests. Mm-hmm. And so because we weren't doing any test retests, people started to go like, well, wait, why are we doing this? Because again, it's not it's not part of a normal routine that you've done for 20 years, right? Like it's new and anything that's new, it's going to take a while to develop that habit. 
So that was the biggest mistake we made. So now when people come into the spot, what we do is we do, you know, depending on upper or lower body, we do like a couple, if it's lower body, we'll do a couple toe touches, a couple squats. Then we run through zone one, zone two, zone three. Then we have them do a couple squats and toe touches again. A reminder. And yeah. every, every time they're like, oh my God, this feels you, so much better. Do you think that there's a but better environment? Do, do, you, do you think there's a better environment? Like um, I like to do the RPR after I would do some warm ups. Like I'll ride the bike for 10 minutes and I do a little bit of stretching and then I go do the RPR. Uh, do you think it's more beneficial to do it that way or jump in first? I, I think it's best to do it first because um, especially like with flexibility, right? If you have some neural tone that's there and you go into your flexibility work, then you're trying to stretch your neural tone, do RPR first, get rid of the neural tone. Then you can actually start stretching the muscle instead of stretching or trying to work through the neural tone. And so what I'll do is I, I do RPR first, then I go into my warm ups and all that. And then if I feel like if I'm, if I'm stretching or doing something else, and I'm like, oh, this feels a little off and I'll hit something again. And I think that's the important part that I think people, you know, I think when we first started teaching RPR, the, the thing that I didn't understand or that people maybe got wrong was they're like, oh, well, I just do this one time and it's a fix. Well, no, it's, it's your nervous system. It literally can instantly change. And so it's just like the example I give is like, okay, like mechanical, your light bulb that you buy says it'll burn for 5,000 hours or whatever. So you plug it into the outlet and you flip the light switch off. Does that mean your light bulb doesn't work? No, the electricity is not running to it. Flip it back on. It comes right on your nervous system's instant. So that's the thing that people got confused with RPR first was they thought, oh, this is just something that I just do one time and then I'm fixed for the rest of my life. It's literally no, like you can do it all throughout the day. Like you said, when you're doing pull-ups, you don't feel good. Hit some more stuff again. Right. And that's the thing that I think people have a hard time grasping with the nervous system is that it's an instant change, which means they can instantly go back to the, the question with RPR isn't how long will it last? The question is, do I know where that is? And do I know how to get it where I want it to be? Right. So it's not like if I have a light bulb in my house and I walk in the house and I'm like, oh, my God, the lights are now and burn the house down. This these light, nothing in this house works. No. I, okay. I know they're off. Boom. I flip the switch. Now they're on. I'm good to go. And I think that's the one thing that I didn't understand when I first started doing RPR was I was like trying to figure out, Oh, how long does this last? Well, it's nervous system. It's all instant. It's, it can instantly change. Sequence can instantly change, but that's okay. As long as I know how to test where it is and I know how to get it where I want it to be. And that that's the thing I think that, that people got confused about. And so it's funny because John, to your point, like I've had friends that they'd start doing it every day and they'd start feeling good and they'd stop doing it because it just wasn't part of their habit for 20 years. And then all of a sudden they start feeling bad again and then, okay, I got to go back and do RPR. I guess it really does. Make well, I, I, I think you can like, I think you have to almost like, even though you do the test and the retest and you see it, like you almost have to like to do it and then not do it and then go back. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're young, maybe you drink too much and maybe you never get a hangover. And then you're like, oh, I used to be able to go hard. Then you have too many drinks. And then you wake up with a hangover and you're like, I'm never doing that again. It's only two bottles of tequila. Yeah. What's up with that? I mean, but like, <laughs> not doing that until next weekend. But, but like in my 20s, like I could drink every drink in the bar, sleep three hours and wake up and be fine. Now, if I did that, I would feel like I got hit by a bus. Um, well, an literally. analogy JL presented that I liked a lot was RPR is flossing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really, yeah. And that's one thing I think for people is like, you know, people, like 
I look like RPR, it's really like brushing your teeth. It's for your nervous system, right? Like basically, you know, people don't brush their teeth one day and go, okay, I'm good for the rest of my life. Oh, like, you never met self-care. my daughters. <laughs> uh, I'll like, like they'll come over what? and give me a hug. And I'm like, when was the last time you brushed your teeth? And they're like, uh, last night. I'm like, if you can't rattle off the exact time, like I brushed my teeth last night, you can go, you know, like if there's any doubt, yeah. I know you haven't brushed your teeth in a while. Right. As soon as they go, uh, you know, you you're like, is, is that fur? I see fur in your teeth. <laughs> well, that, I mean, but that's it. Right. And that's the way I explain it to people is RPR is it's just like brushing your teeth for your nervous system, right? Like you do it every single day to make sure that things are good. Be activated. That's like going to the dentist, right? You go to make sure everything you're doing is right. And you go to have some things done that probably you can't do yourself. Right. And so that's the way when I look, you know, when people ask me, you know, RPR, be activated, what's the difference? It's like, well, RPR is brushing your teeth. You can do it every single day to make sure your ner- nervous system's cared for and firing in the right sequence. Be activated is going to the dentist. So you're going to get some stuff done. And look, like there is like some stuff with be activated. It hurts. Like I'm telling you, digging out, I'll tell you this right now, digging out emotional trauma out of your body when that happens, it don't feel good. No, it's I'll just painful. tell you that right now. It, it, it don't feel good, but it's worth it for the end result. I mean, it's worth, you know, I can tell you like myself, like, so I didn't, I didn't talk to my mom for eight years and, uh, I got some stuff I went through. It was about my third deactivated course that I went through and some, I, some emotional stuff came out and like, literally like a couple weeks later called my mom. Like I talked to her again, like it, I mean, but it was, it wasn't, it didn't feel good. Like it was physically a lot of pain. I was, I mean, there was, there's a lot of tears. Like it, it came out, but once it did, I was like, okay, now I can call my mom and have a relationship with my mom. But it's, it's these things like, you know, but again, right. You don't, <clears throat> you don't stop brushing your teeth because you know, you're going to the dentist in six months. Mm-hmm. Like that would, that would, that again, like John said, you'd start to see. Well, uh, you know, Matt LaLonde didn't brush his teeth for an entire year. He had this idea that if you ate a strict paleo diet, you didn't have to brush your teeth. And? Uh, He did it. And when he went to the dentist, the dentist, like, screamed at him and was like, the amount of plaque and buildup and this. And he's like, well, how would have uh, indigenous people, you know, had survived as long as they did? And it was like, well, maybe maybe they didn't. (laughs) So kind of going on that, not with the toothbrushing thing, but how do we find, what is, is there a way to minimize the dysfunction of the firing sequence like, what are we doing to mess ourselves up? How are we building these compensation patterns? I understand, yeah. like, the I mean, you know, the injury and the acute yeah. trauma type things. I can see how that plays. But let's say you're not one of those people. You're just, I don't know, normal and average, but still this this helps you with your training or uh, stress levels, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, you know, John and I talked about this, right? Like, in the NFL, you play one day or you play 10 years, right? And the guys that are super high, strong, just like, ah, those aren't the guys that are going to make it because they're so stressed all the time and guys that are more laid back and relaxed. And so really the, it helps. So everything, like, first of all, if I grabbed a fish in a fish tank and threw it on dry land, no one would expect it to grow lungs and and feet and all that. Right. But we've essentially done that to our bodies as humans. We've taken ourselves from hunters and gatherers, and now all of a sudden we live in this world of computers and cars and, you know, all of these things that are constantly stressing us. And as dumb as it sounds, when you get an email from someone and you see that 
you know, and you have a report due or whatever, the same part of your brain lights up that would if a tiger was chasing, like these stressors, we're not meant to live in this environment where we're constantly under all this stress and our body doesn't understand that we're safe and we live in houses and we have iPhones, right? It just understands survival. And so when these stressors are happening, these micro stressors all day long, it starts to shift our firing sequences because our, again, our body is designed to just survive. Our body doesn't care if we feel great and we perform at our best, it cares if we survive. And so all of these uh, compensation patterns happen over time because we're literally living in an environment that we weren't built to live in. We're not meant to live in this environment. And so that's what I think it's interesting. We spend billions of dollars a year on technology to make life better for us. But like, what are we doing to make ourselves better for the life we're creating? So I, like, and you probably can't answer this, but let's play, let's play hypothetical. So it is doomsday. We lose all form of modern civilization. Internet is down. We're back to like a, an early agricultural lifestyle, let's say like pre-industrial era. Could firing, like would that type of environment be more conducive to like a modern human? So, and well, I know I'm totally, yeah, like, this is like, we're good. No, 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 but let me give you, let me give you a little more realistic mm -hmm. than, than, you know, turning back the hands of time. Yeah. Uh, like, so go on vacation on the beach. Like, I, we've all experienced this. Like you go on vacation. Like I went to Costa Rica last year and I'm on the beach for a week in Costa Rica. I felt fucking amazing. <laughs> right. Like, no, but, no, I'm, but I'm like, but, yeah. but this is the thing, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm hiking every day. I'm on the beach every day in the water. I have no stress. I have nothing to worry about. So does your body start to feel better when that? Yeah because those sequences, like you're not getting the stress, you're not getting the compensation patterns. Like we've all experienced that. Like you go on vacation to the beach or, or wherever, and you just start feeling better after a couple of days and you wonder why. So yeah, like those type of things. I, I mean, I had a lady who we did the, we, we did a reset on her and we checked everything. Her firing sequences were great. She went on vacation for three months. She came back, she was still great, but she went to Greece at a house she owns in Greece for three months mm -hmm. and hung out, right? Like she didn't really have much stress. And so, you know, that's the thing is like, yes, but, but we, for the most part, unless you have a, a trust fund, that's not a lifestyle you're going to. Right. Live. I'm thinking, so JL, the reason I started laughing is I immediately went to a trip where it was like a, at an all inclusive resort and it was a wedding and like things got pretty aggressive the first night because it's like you wait you show up you're early you're like the first arrival you're like oh hey cheers it's good to see you but then like 15 to 20 more waves of people show up that same day and it's like a celebration each time someone showed up and the next day i thought i was going to be in a world of hurt you wake up and it's like you're in college again like going back to what you were talking about like when i was 23 man I could rip, roar, wake up, get three hours of sleep. But if I guess if you don't feel the compounding micro stresses, you, you may be a little more resilient. Now, the stress in this scenario was an excessive consumption of alcohol. However, had that been avoided, 
think of how great I could have felt the remainder of that Didn't, trip. But it's just stress. But it's just stress, mm-hmm. right? Like it doesn't matter if you're talking about alcohol or whatever. Like we're still just talking about how much stress can your body handle, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a capacity thing, right? How resilient you are to stress, it's where you start, right? So if I'm here and my cap is here, and I can and I can change that gap, and that's what we talk about with RPR, right? right? Like it's making yourself more resilient to the stress in your life, right? It's optimizing things. You can't get, and that's where I think it's key is like a lot of people today understand the negative effects of stress. And what they do is they say, okay, so it's like you walk into the gym and, and I show you perfect technique on a lift. And it's like, whatever that lift is, I then put 10 more pounds on it and your technique will fall apart. So at that point, I have two choices. I can either A, I can make you, I can take that 10 pounds off so that you can handle that or B, I can make you stronger, make you more resilient to the stress. And so in our world today, everybody is start, not everybody, but a lot of the stuff I watch, they're really starting to understand the, the effects of this micro stress in everybody's life every day. And what they're doing is they, they only have one strategy, remove the stress. Well, you know what? I have three kids. I have two businesses. Like I want to train on all these things. I'm not going to remove any of those things. That's a cool part to RPR is it makes you more resilient to that stress as opposed to saying, remove that stress. And that's what I like is that it's a tool to make me more resilient versus saying, okay, now, do I think that we should use strategies to reduce stress? Of course, those are good, but it's just like in the gym. Do I just want to choose whether I want to give you better technique or make you stronger? Or do I want to do both of them at the same time? Right. So let's go on vacation, I think, is what JL is telling us. Man, I think we should all go. Uh, on that's actually a pretty good deal, man. I was thinking like, uh, cause my wife is, uh, of course, um, all the trips that we've, uh, you know, like we were supposed to go mm-hmm. somewhere back East for her mom's 60th or 70th. I don't know. Some, uh, her, one of her mom's birthdays. Sounds relaxing. Um, yeah, sounds great. And then like, so like we had a trip to California, we've had all this stuff and like, because everything's gotten canceled. Now we have this like huge backlog of like our miles and like all like the, you know, cause, yeah, you cause know what? Same here. so now we have this. And so like last night it's like, ah, where should we go? And uh, I was like, man, someplace uh, without a lot of technology. Where the beer flows like wine and the semen of flock. And, and uh, the salmon the flock salmon. like the, the salmon. No, and the women flock like the, the salmon, salmon of San Juan Capistrano. <laughs> That's another great line. Uh, but like, you know, I, like my whole deal was like, why don't we go someplace with like that a lot of technology and low stress? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, just find that location. So my, I had the most recent one of those was Estes Park, Colorado. That was like up in the mountains, super clear, calm, and clean. And it was, it was epic. That who was who got married? Back. Uh, that was Clark and Steph. That's right. Like that's three, right. maybe three, four years ago. But yeah. that like of my most recent, like, wow, that was like soul cleansing. And coincidentally, I guess, listen, people, this is how I recall it. So there's already a fault. But when we, we did like a little tour and apparently that that area used to be like a sacred ground for the, the Indians over there where it was like the shaman. Ground. You, there was no battle allowed there because it was a healing place. And that is also the home of the original... Um, Shining. Shining. You want to get sued? Shining. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Shining. So the hotel there, the, oh, yeah. the Overlook, right? Yeah. Is that what it was? Oh, yeah, I don't remember the name, but I tried to block that, that movie out of my memory for when I saw it as a kid. That's fucking... That was scary to like eight or nine years old to see that I movie. I can believe it, yeah. But that was... Uh, I suggest well, that I- place. 
No, I think, but it's interesting that you say, you know, you talk about when you're, you know, like, oh, this was a place, there was no battle, it was a place of healing, all this stuff. Like, it's funny, like, all this stuff, 10 years ago, there's so much stuff that I would have said it's foo-foo, like, just, that's dumb. Now I'm in a place where I'm like, I've seen too much stuff where I'm like, yeah, no, I think science will prove that that's a real thing and probably 50 years. Like there's just, there's too much of this stuff where it's, you know, and this uh, Brian Mann, who, uh, you know, Brian, yeah, right, John? Oh yeah, real well. So uh, it's funny when, you know, Brian came to uh, an RPR clinic and it was funny, we were talking and he's like, you know, he's like, I, I wouldn't be here, but you and Cal say this stuff's great. So I'm, you know, I'll check it out. And it's funny because at lunch, because, you know, the most interesting thing to me is that what you guys are teaching for the most part, bits and pieces, obviously we've systemized it, but he's like bits and pieces of this exist literally in every culture through thousands of years all around the world. And so this is a thing to me, like if it's, if it's exist, and this is where I get into this, where people are like, oh, but science and this, it's like, okay, if I'm going to bet everything that I know or that I love in this world, if I'm going to bet it all on something that's existed in literally every culture in every part of the world with no way they could connect through thousands of years and it's existed in all those things or something that's literally existed for 200 years in one part of the world, like I know which one has a better track record of actually being real and working, right? And that's not to say like, I think where people get off the rails on this is then they say modern medicine is just stupid. No, like if I get like, I want an antibiotic if I need it. Right. Like I want, like I want surgery on something if I need it. Like, I just think there needs to be this merge of like, there's people on this side who are like, no, no, no science. And there's people on this side that are like, science is dumb. It's like the answer is somewhere in the middle. Like the answer is somewhere in the middle. Like there's some things we can't explain because right. Like technology. Right. And the way I always look at it, like, you know, I kind of, we talked about this before when I was saying, but you know, if you go back to the 1850s, right, the guy who even even suggested that germs were a thing was was drilled out of the medical yeah. community, put in a mental and institution. committed suicide. Yeah, in a mental institute because he even suggested germs were a thing because science didn't have a way of seeing what he was talking about at the time. Well, they and used to also drill holes was, in people's heads to remove the bad uh, demons. So, I mean, like, and, and that, that was just a couple hundred years science. ago. No, I mean, uh, well, that, that was uh, like in the 1800s, 1700s. That was an well, acceptable let's, deal. Let's bring it closer. Let's bring it closer. In the 1970s, the prevailing physiological theory in the medical community was women couldn't run marathons or their uterus would fall out and they would die. Science! That was... No, but we're taught now we're talking about the seventies, right? Like I was born in the seventies, yeah. right? Like, like we're not talking 1800. We're not talking a time period of, of way. this is like, I was alive. And that was the theory. Even th 20 years ago, they didn't, I, I took my anatomy and physiology. Fascia wasn't a thing 20 years ago. Yeah, in the it books. was just something you cut through. Yeah. Like that's. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was totally not, it didn't even mean anything. And so this is the thing. It's like, and that I think that's what, probably one of the biggest things out of this episode, I think, for people to take is, is just that critical thinking skill and realizing that, like, what you think is known today and 20 years from now can be completely different. And having that open mind and that critical thinking ability to just say, OK, like, 
this is what I know with RPR. Like the first time I did stuff with Dave, he said a 90 pound squat PR. It's made my body feel amazing. Like we've tested, you know, so we're talking about tens of thousands of people it works on. And so it's like, okay, if I know I can feel it, it makes me feel better. It's like, okay, like you're right. Maybe I don't have the perfect study to show whatever, but I think that's that critical thinking skill. And, mm-hmm. and it's again, like whether it's the conspiracy theory or, or it's whatever, it's just like, let's, let's do better at just thinking about things that we can see and that we can experience. That'd be a funny Instagram account. Things science said, just to remind people, like, I'm not saying like, Oh, one. boo, his science. Right. And it's my, no, no, no. Right, it's my understanding that even the scientific method isn't, is there to t- test false or, not not determine truths, but identify falsehoods, right? So there's an d- important distinction there, right? No, and, and I think it's interesting too, when you look at now the amount of research papers that are coming out that have been falsified and the data has been falsified, like it's insane, right? So it's like these things that get accepted as truths that have been published in period, like there's so many people, fought, like here's the thing. I think science is amazing. I think scientific method is amazing you know what isn't? People. As soon as you enter people into the equation, then there's room for error. Like it just, it just is like it's, it. and again, I don't think anybody would, like, I don't think people would do things to purposely cause harm. Like someone probably falsifies studies because they think that it's something that's going to help people and they just want to get it to people quicker. Right? Like, I think like all these things we see that are bad, I think probably if you really get down to it started with a really good intention. I don't know. I mean, I was thinking like Ansel keys, you know, taking money from the sugar lobby to vilify fat instead of sugar, uh, you know, on the seven country study ended up have, you know, changing and altering the trajectory of health in this country. Cause then all of a sudden it became statins and this idea of heart diseases were linked to cholesterol and this, and, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, saturated fat is this, you know, evil demon and that we have to get rid of egg yolks and butter. And I mean, since 19, you know, the late 19, 1950s, early 1960s, like there was this, you know, direct correlation between heart disease, saturated fat and cholesterol that they ended up, you know, coming out, you know, 50, 60 years later and being like, yeah, that was all bullshit. Uh, there was no correlation. And we actually found the deposit of the money that the sugar lobby gave to Ansel Keys to falsify his research. So, I mean, there's a situation where like a company or right. a, a group of individuals see some research coming down that's going to effectively hurt their bottom line. And a $10,000 payment was able to alter the trajectory of that. Now, were those guys nefariously thinking that they were going to, you know, produce sickness, diabetes and all these other health problems with that research? Probably not. They were probably just like, man, if we can only get this guy to not fuck us over. Uh, and then all of a sudden, here you are all these years later, and you're like, ooh, like, we, we fucked on this one. Um, but I'll tell you, Ansel Keys, he believed, uh, like, I think what it did is he took the money, and even though the research didn't claim it, it was cherry-picked, it was what he believed. And so I think there's this kind of greater good where it's like, ah, oh, the research isn't exactly saying what I want. It didn't come out the way. I'm going to skew this thing in such eyes? a way yeah. that it filters my narrative. And I think that's ego. I think when you start attaching PhD yeah. and doctorates and experts uh, or putting somebody on the pedestal of an expert, there's this tremendous ego that I have to you know, continue to be this person. And if I say, hey, I'm wrong or this, then it somehow hurts my credibility where it doesn't. Well, that, I mean, and that's, you know, it's interesting, like, and maybe it's because I don't have a PhD and all that, but like, that's one of the things that I say in our clinics all the time. Like I, 
I don't know why a lot of this stuff works. It just does. I have a lot of theories and I reserve the right to be wrong. Like I, I met with this girl, super sharp. Her, she went through our clinic and she was a physical therapist. Her friend went through as a strength coach. He set a 50 pound squat PR three days later after the clinic. So she meets with me and she's got a stack of books. I mean, it's a huge duffel bag full of books. And she's like, I can't figure out why this works. It's not in my butt. Like, I don't know, but he got strong. He said a 50 pound squat here. She's like, well, the sarcomeres didn't get bigger and this and that. And finally I just looked at her and I was, she said, like, I can't use this because it doesn't make sense in my books. And I was just like, well, I said, look, if in 10 years from now, like some new technology we have says that breathing this way and rubbing your body in this certain sequence makes an ancient alien come into your body and makes you stronger. As long as I'm stronger, I, I'm still using it. Well, like, well, didn't, I just, I don't care. Didn't Paul Quinn say, if you got to wait for the research to catch up with where people are, you're 10 years behind. 17. I, it, he said 17 yeah, it's years like 17. behind. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and he's, he's pretty accurate. I mean, if you think about a lot of things that, uh, you know, haven't necessarily been broached on research or people really haven't touched, like if you're waiting for the research to come out to, to guarantee the efficacy of something you're doing, you're going to be behind the curve. And not now just that, come out, but then be like validated and disvalidated <clears throat> and then like stand the test of time. And then, like you said, jail a hundred years from now, they'll be like, uh, he was right. One of the, <laughs> like, one of the uh, uh, exercise PhDs I follow on Instagram posted a deal uh, that like looked at um, aerobic developing a large aerobic base was more benef- was more beneficial for older people in terms of strength and recovery. So like having a larger aerobic base in, uh, speeds up recovery in older people, which allows them to like continue to gain muscle and train, which like, I just think it's hilarious things that we generally knew were accepted that a larger aerobic base helps, uh, you know, with mitochondrial density and the other reasons. Uh, but like people are still researching it. It was a current article that still came out and like presented this information and people are like, really? I'm like, dude, that's like we've seen this play out over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think what people are doing is they're doing research kind of looking for something, but it all kind of points back to, you know, so. Well, I think, I mean, but it comes down, right? Like do the basics savagely well. And it's interesting, like these things that we talk about, like for me, the nervous system, if we're not caring for our nervous system on a daily basis, it's one of the basics we're totally missing, right? Like it just, it just is like, if we're not, I mean, it's the thing that controls everything in our body. And if to ignore it is again, right. It's you're ignoring the control center of everything in your body. And so again, I think that's, that's probably not a viewpoint. A lot of people hold, but uh, I think again, you know, in 20 years from now, I think it'll be one of those deals where I'll get an intern and it'll be like, what do you mean you guys didn't understand the nervous system controlled everything? Were you guys idiots? Well, but, the, but also the nervous system isn't sexy. Even though it is sexy to me, I, I just me think, ooh, eat that fascia. Uh, uh, but I, I, I think like, you know, when you, when you talk about like sets and reps and volume and intensity and, you know, conjugate and, you know, this and classical linear periodization and you get into all this, you know, fluid periodization, like, like that's the minutia that people love to fucking dig in on. Yeah, and 
I think at the end of the day, like, you know, you're talking about influencing the nervous system by doing this and you're like, ah, this isn't as sexy. We need like a machine or like something like, like the Omega wave or the ARP wave or like, you know, something that like, that's how it's done. The fact that, you know, you can do, you know, some belly breathing and start looking at like the fascia, the, I'm telling you, man, like when I, after we talked and I went back and, you know, pulled up a bunch of stuff and I actually blew up this picture that like showed what the body looked like with just the skin with the still fascia, you see that it doesn't really look like separate muscles. It looks like things are kind of tied in, like there's five or six total muscle. And so if you think about it in that way, then it it makes a ton of sense because people are like, well, why is there dysfunction in my bicep? And I'm like, could it be down the chain? Could it be dysfunction happening for something else? Could it be in the shoulder with the biceps tendon? Well, aren't they separate? And you're like, dude, like nothing exists in a vacuum and all this stuff is interrelated. I mean, I found it with my own shoulder within the rehab that, you know, that tight posterior capsule uh, effectively forces my lat and my um, um, like the glenhumeral joint just to kind of fuse and they kind of move as one and getting the guy to go in there and break that thing up waiting on, you know, your buddy from South Africa to get over his, you know, COVID-19 fear and fly over here and fix me. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, this is the thing, what, what I talk about with RPR all the time, right, is so much of what we do today is about treating the symptom, whereas with RPR and be activated, it's about addressing the cause of the issue. And that, to me, like, I've seen it so many times where someone has, like you said, a shoulder issue, and we don't touch anything on their shoulder, and their shoulder feels better. Well, it's all connected. It, you can't, like, to say, like, oh, like, it's all you know it's separate and the shoulder hurts no like i mean we talk about this in the clinic but it's like a lot of times like instability at the hips is why the shoulder hurts right and it's like you know people are like oh maybe it's a top down problem or bottom up problem it's like every problem's inside out like it, it has to start with that proximal stability because that's what you know again right like we're survival and if we're going to survive as a creature right we've got to hunt for food we've got to make babies and the two things we need to do that are hip flexion, hip extension. Our body's going to protect those two things. You know, like if, you know, again, like if you have, you know, your shoulder doesn't work, you can still kill things and run and hunt for food and make babies and just do it with the other arm. Right. Like that's the thing It's like your body will give up these other joints, but it won't give up, you know, flexion and extension because it needs those to survive. And this is again, like this is a thing where I think in 20 years from now, it'll be commonly accepted. It's just right now, when you talk to people about this, it, it, it's this interesting conversation of, of, well, where's the research? It's like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll wait 20 years, I guess. 17 years, not 20. we'll wait 17. <laughs> I think you guys should invent an RPR suit. I'm talking motorized suit. You just wear it and you can you can hit the rpr button on your phone and it just does everything for you what well you if we that, could JL? invent that <laughs> i wouldn't just invent the robocop suit why not just do the robocop suit then you don't even have to move I'm, it just moves i'm forward. thinking about getting metal legs <laughs> it's a risky surgery <laughs> i think it's totally worth it <laughs> interesting i mean it worked out for robocop yeah it did it worked out How for robocop <laughs> Talk God, about that's it. a grandma's boy we totally forgot fucking grandma's yeah, boy it is quotable comedy like, do you remember when he looks what and he's out? like, um, I got a piece. I go in the alley. He's like, out of my butt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I do love that movie. That is a great movie. Yeah, Jay, we did a totally off topic, man. We did a morning. We're doing these morning podcasts. And one of the episodes was like uh, most quotable comedies. 
right? Well, just most quantum dumb movies. Is movies, what, but yeah. it was dumb, dumb and dumber. Yeah. It was on the list, baby. We actually, there were certain movies that we just had to kind of just remove because the whole movie was so quotable. Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> Super Troopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just what about Tommy Boy? Uh, that was another yeah, one that we was got into for sure. Yeah, I mean, the Dumb and Dumber one, I mean, I was thinking about the one I use all the time. I'm like, just when I don't think you can get any stupider, you go do something like this and totally redeem yourself. Harry, I took care of it. <laughs> Only get the bare essentials, and he's yeah. got, like, the cowboy hat, the beers. Just <laughs> let it go. Man. Just let, just it, let go. it go, yeah. You had two pairs of gloves this whole... Harry, your hands are freezing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there was just movies. 150,000. Yeah. You're going to hold on. Yeah, that, that's a big one. <laughs> what if you shot him in the face? Yeah, what if you shot him in the face? <laughs> yeah. So, Jail, it was basically 60 minutes of what's going on now. Like, that's, oh, fuck. That's, uh, and then dude, Super Troopers what, look, totally what, fucking threw us a loop. Well, dude, one summer in college, uh, I didn't have any. Like, we just, we had this house and it, it was a bunch of roommates, but they were gone. So, it was me and one other roommate. And we just didn't, like, we didn't, we weren't the guys who had the electronics. So, we had a VCR and a TV. We had two VHSs. We had Dumb and Dumber and Mrs. Doubtfire. Ooh. So, literally, that literally that whole summer, that, that was all like it was you would just sit at night and just literally go line for line. We'd be like, all right, tonight you be Harry. Freshman year of college, uh, my roommate was a total pothead and he had a, a TV and a VCR and he had two movies, which I think is hilarious that you said two movies. It was uh, Top Gun and uh, Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School. So oh, I know school. back to school and Top Gun like front to back. Like I must have seen him like hundreds of times because I would come in and he would start smoking. And uh, I would like go to lunch, I come back and whatever, and I get ready for practice and he'd be there and I'd be like, oh, this dude's fucking high as shit. And we, we go to football practice and that dude like smoked weed before every football practice. And I remember like over there, I was like, oh, I'm trying to be all studious. No, he can't do that. And then I'm like, oh, who cares? Let people be people. <laughs> it's like, dude, you want to smoke yourself stupid and go play football? I'm not doing it. Get the fuck <laughs> away from me. Those were the days. <laughs> Some ramen noodles. You needed two movies. You can't just have one movie. You gotta have two. And, so and, then, and it's never three. Like I had a cl- no. I had, like a, God, I had a collection. That only Nazis have three. I, I, movies. I was a Nazi because I had a ton of movies. I yeah, but your shit was all pirated from people. No. Uh, why did I have so many DVDs? Did, we were VHS Twister and then Saving Private Ryan. I was DVD and, and like video CD. Now I think about it, there were some downloads. You could and back in that day, you could. You could hack your Dreamcast, which was a gaming system, to play downloaded burnt video CDs. And I think that's where, yeah, it's just a bunch of Dude, flim flam and hacker rooms. We had this terrible TV, and we somehow like got this black market cable box, but we had to get it hooked into somebody's cable. So uh, we went over there, and we totally tapped our neighbor's cable and put like a splitter and hooked it all up. Nice. And for about a week and a half, like we were pretty stoked until he like knocked on the door, and he's like, did you guys put a splitter on my... I followed this orange cable <laughs> line. <laughs> no, it, was, it was totally one of those things where it's like, did you tap into our, our uh, cable? And no. I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, I saw the splitter. He's like, you know, basically like you should have come and asked first. And I was like, yeah, but you're not really upset. He's like, no, fuck that. You didn't ask. Go fuck mm-hmm. yourself. And wow. he disconnected it. And I remember being like... Oh, God, I guess I should ask for permission, not for forgiveness. And uh, yeah, and then that was we, we about a week though we had. I mean, I should have just offered to split it with the dude or do something, but no, nah, I didn't didn't act properly we, in that way. Dude, so when I I went to Ferris State University, which is small division, you know, Division two school in Michigan. I transferred to Wayne State, which is like Ferris is in 
it's out in the country kind of it's not it's just middle of nowhere so i transferred to wayne state which is downtown detroit and (laughs) that was a it was a culture shock and uh like where we lived we had uh the university bought our building and so we lived in this apartment complex called the claritin so the university bought our building and then basically they were going to turn into a parking lot, but they were letting our leases run out. So we had like 11 months left on our lease and we didn't have to pay any rent. And yeah. And so the cable and everything they took, like literally had free cable, free utilities, everything. They just took it over. I, I don't know if we were supposed to pay somebody, but like <laughs> we just, we just, we just never paid anything. Like it was to create, it was the craziest thing. Like we didn't pay rent. We didn't pay utilities. We had cable. It was, guys were I don't know. It's probably, old mine. So we moved out after our lease ended and some more people like football players, like other guys on the team just moved in because they just heard about this amazing utopia. Like <laughs> it was just free. They like, we're living here till they did. They turned it into a parking lot eventually, but guys lived there until they tore it down. Like it was just literally the, it was right on campus, like on the corner of campus. It was the most amazing. We had a bum. His name was Benny. So Benny would come and like in Michigan, you get 10 cents for a deposit. So he'd come at parties and just collect empty cans, take them back. But he was, he was the greatest. We'd leave him like will call tickets for games and stuff. Like he was, he was awesome. <laughs> Benny taught us all kinds of things. He, he really helped us become real world. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's... He taught, he, t- he taught, like you guys remember the George Foreman grills? Oh, yeah. We Did talked about it yesterday. Right? Yeah. So we had one of the big, you know, the yeah. big ones, we had it and it got, someone came, one of our roommates came home, left the door open, it got stolen. So Benny comes over the next night, we're going out, we're like, Benny, we're like, someone stole our foreman grill. And he's like, what? And we're like, you know the thing, we cook, because we'd give him a hand, like we'd cook, we'd give him burgers and stuff, you know? And, uh, but he would never come in our house. He would just sit on the couch out front. And so he literally pulls out this little 22 and he's like, oh, these crackheads, I'll get it back. And we came home from the bar, 2.30 in the morning. Then he's sitting on our uh, couch on our front porch with our George Foreman girl. <laughs> like, the dude was aw- he was awesome. Was he Batman? Sounds like Batman. The Avenger. Uh, dude, I did uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, we just had an alcoholic meat cutter that used to get fucked up in our uh, in our living room and in exchange would sell us, like, Chateaubriands and sirloins for, like, neckbone prices, which is how we survived. But, man, yeah, no, there's... I mean, uh, when you go to a, like a school in like an urban environment, like you know Detroit or Berkeley or whatnot, like the shenanigans are always probably way higher than Naperville Central shenanigans. Uh, yes, Mayor Pradle was our our uh, avenging angel. <laughs> you have to look up Mayor Pradle someday. Mayor pr- Mayor Pradle Naperville commercials on YouTube, and that's what we were Did immersed we- in. We used to go to this after hour. My sister came to visit us. We went to this after hours club. And uh, it was it was on eight miles, really sketchy neighborhood. And my sister passed out in the car. So this is like college. Like I'm, this is how I know your brain's not fully formed in college because we decided to go into the after hours club and, just leave, and in the leave car? my sister. No, <laughs> we paid these crack hookers who were outside to watch her while we were in the club. That's we were very responsible. Uh. We were super responsible. Oh my god! And then what could go wrong? Nothing. Nothing. It nothing did go wrong. One of them stayed out there. She legit stayed out there. Like we came out at like six thirty in the morning, and one lady was still out there watching the car because she was in there sleeping. Like super responsible. Honor. There's honor among various classes. It's good to hear about that. It gives me hope in humanity. 
look, like I said, everyone's doing the best they can. I'm sure that lady was just making the best choices she could in life. <laughs> probably didn't probably didn't see her future ending up that way. Right, right. Uh, what else we got? Just one. We good? Yeah, yeah they were yeah, good. Like, that's pretty good. Yeah, hey, jail, jail. So let's say people want to learn more about RPR. They just want to follow you, maybe reach out to you. Uh, where do you want to point these yeah. listeners? Yeah, um, you know, reflexiveperformance.com. Obviously, they can learn more about RPR there. Um, we have our online course, um, you know, Instagram, coach underscore JL, RPR system. Um, those are always good places to, to reach out to us. Um, the Spot Athletics, if they want to see, you know, if they have facilities and want to see what we do there, well, as soon as we can open back up, mm-hmm. um, then then we'll be doing that. So, but yeah, those are the best places to, to really get a hold of me. Sounds good, man. We appreciate you taking the time and uh, in popping on Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ding. Thanks for having me, guys. It was great talking to you guys. Absolutely, Thanks for man. Time, guys. Thank you, Power Athlete Nation. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Find JL, RPR, and his gyms all on Instagram. Just search the handles Coach underscore JL, RPR System, and The Spot Athletics. Until next time, bye!